0: This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by John McNair, one of our lovely backers over at Patreon.com forward slash How To Wrestling, where you can back the show, support myself and Joanna, get access to a whole boatload of audio goodies for your ears and exclusive episodes, as well as the How To Revisited series, and you can get yourself an episode requested or sponsor an episode. And that brings us on to today's sponsor, and I'm legitimately giddy about this, Bookish, the pro wrestling promoter card game. This is literally a thing that I have wanted since I was a child and pretty much all the time I've been an adult. It is a board game that thrusts you into the role of being an indie wrestling promoter. You pick your style of promotion, you get your wrestlers, you can push your jobbers, you work against your friends, you can use dirty tactics, or you can just try and put on the best show possible. It features absolutely beautiful artwork, all meticulously designed by Alex Mahoney, who's done merch and design work for some of the top names in the business like Kenny Omega, Adam. Cole, Joey Janela, The Young Bucks and many many more. The game has been designed by someone who has over 10 years experience in the backstage environment of professional wrestling and having played a few games with Joe I can tell you there is a lot of love in this game and this is the absolute perfect thing for Christmas coming up if there's a wrestling fan in your life because we're having so much fun with it. The game has got a beautiful design, it's got a great flow to it and it has got untold avenues for hijinks, hilarity and wrestling good times and because you if you're a listener of this podcast you can get yourself five dollars off the price of the base game if you head over to foamhammergames.com and check out Bucket you can add in the code how to that's h-o-w and then the number two and you get five dollars off because you're buddies and pals from this show but seriously guys we always want to promote stuff on this show that's made from independent creators and there's a lot of love that has went into this this is one of the coolest products and one of the coolest things that we have ever seen so yeah you're gonna want to check out Bucket the pro wrestling card game available from foamhammergames.com get yourself five dollars off but for now enjoy the episode it's time for some controversy and perhaps some cash it's time for how to bishop. Good morning, friends, and welcome to the episode of How to Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows, maybe even how to enjoy wrestling, and we're back, and better than ever this week, because we're talking about allegedly the most controversial figure in the world of wrestling ever, we'll figure that one out, it's Eric Bischoff. Hello everyone once again, it's your old pal Cowboy Kevin, joined as I am always in this Guides through the wonderful world of wrestling and its many strange characters and inhabitants by my better half, Joe Graham.
1: Hello. How are you
0: doing today, Joe?
1: I'm very well, thank you. I'm really excited for this episode.
0: Yeah, this is one that's kind of uh, it's come about out of left field, and it's one where I I think I had theories in my head about certain people or wrestlers or things in wrestling that you will really be intrigued by. Mm. And I'm not going to lie, Bischoff, since the early days, this has been high up on my list in terms of ones that I think that you will be fascinated by this man. Before we did the research and stuff about this episode, what did you know about Eric Bischoff?
1: Very little. I knew he was in charge of WCW during the peak of the ratings rivalry with WWF. Okay. In the mid to late 90s. Is mm-hmm. that about the time Late it was? 90s, late yeah. Late 90s. I know that he then eventually went to work for WWE. Yeah. And he looks different every time you see him. Like, he's a shape-shifting lizard. I've said this before. Yeah, that's,
0: that's, that's the quote I have from you. Mm-hmm. Is in regards him being a shape-shifting lizard. Like,
1: take <laughs> any picture of Eric Bischoff and they do not look the same as any other picture of Eric Bischoff.
0: Now the interesting about Eric Bischoff because I think what well, I've always viewed Eric Bischoff, you know, to try and describe the man at, at the outset, I've always viewed him as being like in They Live, the movie with Roddy Piper, where if you put on the sunglasses and you find out which of the people who are rich and successful are secretly aliens, <laughs> <laughs> plundering this planet for all it's worth. I definitely. feel that yeah, Bischoff would be one of them, or at the very least one of the one of the humans who sell you out and get a teleportation watch, like yeah, the, the homeless guy, like definitely. See you later, boys. Yeah. So. I'm going to ask you in the outset, what does Eric Bischoff look like?
1: So, well, what part of history do you want me to? Because he looked so different throughout the years. Like when he first started off in the wrestling industry, mm-hmm. he was this young model guy. With, like, black hair and big eyebrows and big teeth. Like, he, throughout the years, his hair went sort of silvery grey. He grew out a bit more of a beard. His face shape changed as well. He became more, like, sort of rugged. Yeah. He's a different shape to how he was when he was younger. Like, it's very interesting the way he's, like, just morphed over the years. But I would say,
0: even though he's someone who's changed his appearance quite a lot... If you see any picture of him, that's quintessentially motherfucking Eric Bischoff, right?
1: It is, but it's almost like, it's like this guy's wearing like a mask every time you see him, but you can kind of still tell in the eyes it's still him. Wait,
0: you mean that he wears like a figurative mask, Joe? Like the way <laughs> we all wear masks? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, that's it sorted uh, I, I think it's in the smile. Yeah? That, that very wide Cheshire Cat-like smile. I'll tell
1: you what, me and Dan spent ages on that smile for the artwork because originally when dan illustrated it he gave him a gap either side of his teeth and we were like something's wrong about this smile it doesn't look like eric Bischoff. what is it and we the more we looked at the pictures we realized it's because his teeth fill his entire mouth which is really unusual most people's teeth don't just go end to end of their mouth. Eric Bischoff's do. They just fill up the whole mouth.
0: Are you telling me that he perhaps has row upon row of alternating teeth? Yeah. Like a lizard would. Okay, we're going to pop that into that column for now. Sorry, we're just uh, doing some kind of, you know, parallel research as we're doing this episode. You know, you're going to learn about Eric Bischoff. We're going to learn about the lizard plot to take over the world, you know, (laughs) gathering info here. Uh, Another important question. This is a follow on from... Last episode, mm. which was our co Bana episode. Yeah. By the way, folks, if anyone had the co episode and it was running a bit short for you, there was actually a glitch on SoundCloud when it was first uploaded. So all you have to do is clear your cookies or clear your cache and reload and you will get the episode in its entirety. It should be around two and a half to three hours long as opposed to if any of you happen to get a short one. I know it only affected a few people, but I thought I'd say. But in that very episode, a very important point you brought up was how you thought Mr. smells smelled.
1: Yes, well, I think... I think you can kind of tell what someone smells like by what they look like. Yeah. Like Colt's a very nice looking guy, Mm. he's very handsome. I think he'd smell very nice. Roman Reigns, I said before, I think he'd smell of like conditioner and Or a good a, Radox. Good yeah, good Radox, like a nice cologne, but not too much of it, like a subtle hint. Yeah, He clearly only dabs it on his wrists and his neck, he's not like overpowering, doesn't spray it on. Whereas like
0: Elias looks like he smells the the inside of a belly button.
1: Well Elias, Elias. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he does a bit, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> like Lint.
0: <laughs> How about Eric Bischoff? How do you think he's? Eric he Bischoff.
1: Well, first of all, I think I should say Eric Bischoff is handsome. Okay. Like I think that's, I mean, pretty much universally agreed upon, isn't it? And that's interesting that you said
0: that, and people at home or are probably listening and going, that's interesting that she said handsome and not handsy, you know? That's kind of like when your mum calls you, instead of calling you like Joe, she calls you Joanna. Like yes. It's, it's kind of, there's a formality there yeah. on how you said that. I
1: feel it's a bit too informal to call Eric Bischoff <laughs> handsy. And also, because he's a bit creepy, it sounds a bit like handsy. And it's like, oh, he is a bit handsy, isn't he?
0: Okay, so... He he is a handsome fellow. He's a
1: handsome guy. He's a hunk. Yeah.
0: But you've hit the hit the important point there. Now this is a guy who's had nicknames like Easy E, Yeah. Sleazy E. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we we could go on along those those lines, but you've pointed out, you know, there's a little bit kind of a there's a little bit of a
1: mm,
0: factor yeah. about him. What is it?
1: There's just he's just a shiny individual. Like you know when some people are just a bit shiny, Just yeah. a bit too Smooth,
0: well, like how Mandy Rose is too shiny.
1: No, I don't mean like Mandy Rose. No, you're talking bronzer
0: shiny here now. No,
1: I mean I guess Paul Heyman's a bit shiny. He is, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of other famous shiny individuals. Uh, Vince is a bit shiny. Mm. It's it's often sleazy men who kind of. If you own
0: a wrestling company or run it, you're (laughs) being a shiny guy.
1: Yeah, but anyway, I reckon Eric Bischoff would smell like very expensive, but far too much of cologne oh,
0: i see so he
1: really like really loads it on yeah. way too much it's overpowering you can smell them coming from like miles away
0: as in the perfumer when they were making it was only hoping for a dab and he's yeah. for a full-on he's he's cupped it like he's doing holy water he splashed or something, it like. on yeah <laughs> interesting though. i think it was good to get those kind of you know those points cleared up off the bat now in terms of eric we did a lot of background watching in the sense that eric is someone who's standing with the wwe the company has changed over the years and the the narrative about how bischoff fits into wrestling history and i think there'll be well some parallels drawn with vince russo i think if you're anyone who's blamed about destroying or ruining anything in wrestling and it's been told by a big multi-billion dollar corporation who won that that war or whatever there's going to be skewed opinions there so i have read eric bischoff's book Controversy Creates Cash, and that was a real page-turner. We did check out, just for some background viewing, the Monday Night War documentary that WWE produced, just because I thought it was important for Joe to know what WWE thinks happened during those periods and before we get into the main kind of doc that we watched i wonder if you had any thoughts about that monday night wars doc that we watched
1: well most of what i gleaned from that documentary was that wwe seems to think that eric bischoff's career is mostly about all the great things they did in wwf at the time like (laughs) it it was just a lot of highlights of like these are the cool things that we did during the waiting's wars and look how great we are
0: because I think it's very important to point out from the outset... One of the most important things about Eric Bischoff... You, Joe, you, you mentioned that WWF uh, or the WWE... And WCW, its rival wrestling company... They were locked in a ratings war. They were going head-to-head with their flagship shows. So WWE had Raw's War, which is Monday Night Raw nowadays. And over at WCW, they had Nitro... Which was you know exactly head-to-head with them for those two hours. And Eric Bischoff is the only person in history who has run a wrestling organization that has beat Vince McMahon in the ratings. And he did do it for 83 weeks in a row.
1: That's pretty amazing.
0: That is something that I think we need to really etch in stone at the start. That we are talking about, no matter what we say from this point, in terms of a rival to Vince McMahon, no matter what your opinion of him, and we've got plenty, he is the most successful rival to Vince McMahon ever.
1: But is it fair to say that he's... Because I feel there's there's more to the story than just Eric Bischoff. Yeah. Like, it's not just... You know, he had a lot of backing.
0: Yes, that's true. And a lot went into that. A yeah. lot went
1: into that. He had the backing of Ted Turner, a billionaire. Mm-hmm. He had, you know, a lot of opportunities, a lot of money thrown his way. You know, a lot of contacts with big-name wrestlers like Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't feel it's fair to say that the entire success of of Nitro was just down to Eric Bischoff.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it'd be remiss for, for me to say that, seeing as, you know, I've spent most of my podcasting career, the Era podcast, trying to make the point that not one sole individual, be it Vince McMahon or Stone Cold Steve Austin or whoever is responsible for WWE being successful during that period of time. It is always much more of a, a team effort than folks lead out to be but I thought it's worth to point that out because WWE don't like to embrace their failures no, and they don't like to embrace people who have beaten them very well and even though they beat him a whole bunch back I would say that Eric Bischoff to Vince McMahon is very much like the Gary Oak he beat him a couple of times and once he learned how to beat him he beat the fuck out of him back And did it for the rest of his career, like, you know. <laughs> so we decided to watch WWE's more recent documentary that they produced about Eric, which was called Sports Entertainment's Most Controversial Figure. Now, we've talked about a lot of controversial folks here on, on, on this lovely little show. Mm-hmm. Uh, controversial for a variety of reasons. Before we get into the meat of the matter, is Eric Bischoff, in your opinion, one of or the most controversial figures in sports entertainment?
1: Oh really no not, not really anywhere close kind of really i mean that's that's a bold statement in wrestling of all industries yeah I mean, we've, we've got a lot of
0: murderers and dark, shit like that you know? place,
1: yeah <laughs> we've got slave owners and sex traffickers and, yeah
0: the fabulous moolah and chris benoit and vince mcmahon i mean there's yeah. there's a lot there's a lot of people who in their own categories i'm putting them all in equivalent standing or anything like that but Wrestling, as I think we've no doubt learned through how to, is has got a lot of controversial figures. Yeah, and uh, not necessarily a, it's not necessarily a friendly little branding thing like oh controversy, <laughs> like oh controversy. Do you mean that he 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 leaned on the police not to investigate one of his wrestlers? No, no, that was someone else, less <laughs> controversial, <laughs> far less controversial. So yeah, um, they start off this documentary with all of these talking heads basically saying things along the lines that eric was a madman he was a genius he didn't know what he was doing he was an idiot he was a genius he was a moron he was a genius <laughs> and i wondered if there was any overlap at least in the first instance with paul Heyman, who's someone we've done an episode on previously in terms of the Divisive opinions and whatnot.
1: There's definitely similarities there. Mm. I mean, they are both divisive. They both ran shows that influenced the course of WWE's history. Mm. And then they are both people that worked for rival companies and were then employed by WWE at a later date. Yeah. I think that's kind of where the similarities sort of start and end.
0: Yeah, uh, something as broad as being controversial. I mean, he's pissed a lot of people off. Paul yeah. Heyman similarly pissed a lot of people off as well. Yeah, but
1: In very different ways. Like, <laughs> yeah. Paul Heyman pissed people off because like he didn't pay them. Yes, Eric Bischoff pissed people off because he paid too many people too much money and let them do whatever the hell they wanted. Like, they're very different from each other in that respect.
0: There's some sort of a fiscal responsibility scale of yeah. badness and they're both on the opposite ends of the bad. <laughs> It's <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so Eric Bischoff, they they phrase him at the start of being this real controversial, he's gonna make your blood boil the things this guy did. But in fact, Eric Bischoff is none of these things, Joe, because in 2016, when this documentary was made, Eric Bischoff was just a simple outdoorsman. And Wyoming, hitting the dusty trail. He's basically like an NPC from Red Dead Redemption 2, you know? <laughs> hey there, mister. Hey there, I'm Eric Bischoff. Just going to go do some fly fishing down in Lake Yellowstone Park.
1: Drink my beer.
0: So, I mean, did that <laughs> did that strike you? I mean, because I saw that, I was like, who the fuck is that? I not you watched a documentary about Eric Bischoff. Were you like,
1: oh, Eric, an outdoorsman, like... <laughs> I'm not that surprised, to be honest. If I was as rich as him, I could probably be tempted to go live out in the middle of nowhere and just live a life of... Quiet luxury.
0: Yeah, I mean, 500,000 people, you said, only lived in Wyoming. It, yeah. looked, it, it looked fucking beautiful where It he did. Lives. It looked
1: really peaceful and, like, a really nice place to live. Of course, it wasn't
0: all glamorous Wyoming hunting and fishing. Eric grew up in the black and white footage of gritty Detroit City.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's compulsory any time you have to show Detroit on screen. It has to be in black and white and, like edgy sideways camera angles yeah like, lots of
0: dutch tilts yeah like, you know that's that's why in detroit it's such a hard time you know in the 70s and 80s everything was slanty, <laughs> everything kept falling over that's why all the the car factories had to close down because all, all the wheels kept rolling to one side of the factory you know i mean was it apparent to you that from this outset that eric obviously wanted to put across a version of himself.
1: Yes, very much so. He's trying hard to put across a a, a particular version of himself, one that rides hogs and goes f- was it fly fishing? Yeah. He does and yeah, yeah, rides his his, horses. Rides horses and drinks his beer and yeah, it's, it's very clever branding.
0: Yeah, it was a hard brand because it does say quite a lot about this hard rebranding of Eric Bischoff and whatnot when You know, Joe had seen probably 10 minutes of Bischoff footage before we watched this doc. And you you were like, who's this? Like, you know, (laughs) you could already tell that he was pretending to be something that he wasn't, like... like
1: but he must be... You don't go out and live in the middle of nowhere just for the sake of a brand. Like, yeah. he must genuinely love it. No,
0: I think he genuinely lives that lifestyle. He loves that lifestyle. And I think it is a hard shift from probably the life he led during the 90s. Mm. And it's probably because of that.
1: It just makes it seem, especially with like the name of his autobiography, you know, Controversy Creates Cash, it makes it seem as though he's such a controversial figure that he's been, like, expelled to the <laughs> desert and, like forced to live in <laughs> solitude
0: yeah in seclusion yeah. like lest his explosive controversial ideas infect the mainstream <laughs> like so he lived in detroit as a kid and pittsburgh and then on to minneapolis and they're basically saying that, like as a kid bischoff was a was a scrappy young customer you know getting in fights all that mm. jazz you know he real root and tooting kind of kid you know real badass you know he was wrestling as well in, in young wrestling wrestling and, of course, they had his brother on there to make sure you knew that he was a total badass when yeah. he was wrestling. Like, and even though he didn't win much, it was because he was such a badass like, and too aggressive. Another thing Bischoff was involved in is the world of karate.
1: Ah, yes. I couldn't believe it when you said that Eric Bischoff was a black belt in karate.
0: Ah, and I showed Joe so many gifts and clips of him in his gi, and still, you were not believing me.
1: Even seeing him do karate doesn't seem real
0: now this was absolutely no offense whatsoever meant to any practitioners of the ancient art of karate i reviewed karate kid for cinema swirl so i'm obviously very passionate about the subject matter don't get me wrong i think an issue might be i've often heard from friends who do things like judo and aikido and all that and i'm pretty sure all the other martial arts just kind of hate each other basically and they do mm. pick on each other but they've always told me that, like, oh, karate—that's like a, not an aggressive combat sport. It's kind of more for show. It's not—it's not a physical, you know, striking thing. Uh, that could be complete bullshit, by the I'm way. I'm sure it
1: is physical, but I think it's supposed to be more self-defense than attacking. Or am I getting confused with judo?
0: All I'll say about it is that in terms of martial arts, that translate nicely into worked wrestling moves.
1: Karate's not one of them. Karate with the <laughs> light
0: kicks and strikes and jabs. Ain't, yeah, it's it's not for it. We did get to see footage of Eric in the 70s in karate tournaments, though. We,
1: we did, and his brother mentioned specifically that Eric would cheat a lot and, like, kick people while they were down. What a heel. What a heel.
0: Of course, uh, Bischoff trained with the Cobra Kai gym in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's where he learned how to sweep the leg and stuff of that nature, of course. Right. Uh, this is where he also met Sunny Ono. And Sunny Ono was involved in karate and then involved in wrestling. He was kind of like a link for New Japan Pro Wrestling and WCW. They interviewed him in the documentary. They didn't really make out that he was important at all. But he was very, very important in Eric Bischoff's kind of like inner circle for many years. He was he was a confidant and such. And he did karate and whatnot with him. They kind of did a lot of business dealings with each other before they got into wrestling. I only mentioned about well, Sunny Ono. I did watch some interviews with him. Just to kind of think, yeah, well, he's someone who's close to Bischoff. You know, what's he got to say about him? Someone actually sent me clips of Sonny Ono talking about Bischoff's karate days so I could watch. So I could find out how legit that Bischoff was with his black belt and all that. Which is 100% legit, folks. And in this interview, he was he was talking about Bischoff meeting his wife for the first time. Now, Laurie Bischoff, Eric's wife of 30-something years, she is a very impressive lady.
1: Yeah, she was a Playboy model, is that right? Yep. A model generally, and she ran her own modelling agency by the age of 21.
0: What the fuck?
1: That's a high achiever right there.
0: Yeah, she got like Bischoff into modelling as well and all that. Yeah. Really reminded me of uh, Kimberly Page, you know, Diamond Dallas' Page's oh, wife. Yeah. Just in terms that she was a toll hustler in her own right, mm. who enabled her husband's hustle at the same time as well. Like. Yeah. So yeah, there are... Persistent rumours, and I will say there are, they are rumours, is the main thing I'm saying about it, because everyone alleged involved is, is denied, but there's been persistent rumours over the years that Bischoff and many of the top WCW stars were involved in uh, in swing practices, let's just say. Oh, and I totally believe th- that. The sharing of wives. Names like Hogan and DDP have come up over and over again. Like, people alleging that the reason why DDP became world champions is because <laughs> Bischoff and him had sex with each other's wives. Wow. Like, that's some pretty... Like, there's such wild fucking accusations out there about Bishop. I, I thought it was worth bearing mention. I don't know if there's any truth to it whatsoever, though.
1: I mean, I've heard before that Hogan was involved in yeah. that. I mean, we, we've seen a bit of evidence to that as well. That's
0: true. Hogan and his friends often do sip from the same font. <laughs> Sometimes they've had too much dinner, though, and it makes it a yeah. bit difficult. But a little standout moment from Sonny Ono's shoot interview, which I watched, which is only from a few years ago. I do not know why he spent five or so minutes belaboring this point, but he's like, when I first met Laurie Bischoff, I was like, Eric, what are you doing? She's 14, bro. You're going to get in trouble because Laurie apparently looked... She was very petite and looked very young.
1: Okay, she wasn't actually fourteen. No,
0: but Sonny went on for like five minutes in this interview. got it's just—it was real crazy, man. Because I thought that Eric might have been a pedophile. You know, I was like, "You sure, bro?" He's like, "No, bro, don't worry. Everything's cool. I'm not a pedophile." <laughs> Jesus. But like, why would you go on and on and on about like your supposed friend, like his, his wife? Like, just yeah. The main takeaway I had though was that she resembled an underage girl. That was just what I wanted to get across. That was my Yikes. main point. Ah, great friend, like. But Sonny Ono and Bischoff realized that there was no money in karate. And after a brief tenure as a meat salesman, I don't know know if you saw how Bischoff phrased his tenure as a meat salesman. I was a sales advisor For a food processing And mechanism plant The youngest salesman That they ever had On their staff (laughs) That sounds a lot better than his selling meat Out of the back boot Of his car In a car park Like in trailer park boys Was he
1: really selling it Out of the boot of his car?
0: (laughs) No I'm sure not But I mean You know We've had door to door Meat salesmen Back in Ireland The door to door Frozen fish salesman Comes around now and then You know It's not It's a hustle Let me tell you It's Mm. not as glad Amorous, maybe, as old Bishop was making it out to <laughs> me. But uh, yeah, they realize there's no money in any of that. So they devise the next big thing in home entertainment.
1: What, you mean Ninja Star Wars? Yeah,
0: baby, Ninja Star Wars. <laughs> there's like two chapters in his book about Ninja Star oh Wars. Oh my
1: God. I mean, it's quite a good idea. Yeah? And it, you know, clearly it got him into the industry. So he has that to thank, I suppose. How,
0: first of all, What is Ninja Star Wars? Right, So
1: Ninja Star Wars is like a game for kids where you put on like a special visor that protects your eyes. It's like a Naruto headband, (laughs) but with a plastic sheath that like protects your eyes.
0: Interesting because Bischoff similarly moves very fast like Naruto, doesn't he? That's why none of his blows land. Oh wait, have I got that wrong?
1: (laughs) You have to wear this special t-shirt um, it's like a
0: gilet, is it?
1: No, or, it's like or a tunic. Yeah, kind of like a tunic, I guess. <laughs> and then you have these little ninja stars that are soft. And you throw them and they stick to the t-shirt.
0: So it's kind of like, it's the same kind of Velcro playtime principle involved in like, I don't know if you ever had those things where it was like the Velcro mat, which you could catch a tennis ball Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that. Like. It's like
1: that, yeah. But for clothing and ninja stuff, it's, it's a clever idea. As a you know kid, I would have loved that. Me and my brother would have played with that for hours, I'm sure.
0: They said it was like lo-fi laser tag, basically. It's yeah. the same principle as that. The idea is that your laser tag probably cost a whole arm and a leg in mm. the 80s. You could get, this. you're paying like, $25 whatever it was to get like a, an assortment of felt. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but how does Ninja Star Wars get Eric Bischoff into the world of professional wrestling?
1: Oh my God, it's so weird. So he had this company, Ninja Star Wars, and he was like, well, we've got this great idea, but we want to get it, you know, in front of lots of eyes. Mm. So we should advertise on television. The way he phrased it was like, you know, like he'd just come up with the most amazing idea ever, like the most radical, innovative idea ever. Can
0: I just tell you right now, folks, Joe's giving it hard Eric Bischoff eyes? <laughs> the half squint that Bischoff does when he thinks that he's saying something brilliant is is the most beautiful thing in the world.
1: <laughs> so I decided we would advertise on television. Oh man, what an innovator! <laughs> wow.
0: Genius.
1: And so he approached. I forget the name of the company, but it was like WCW, wasn't it?
0: No, it was the AWA. Oh, it was
1: the AWA, sorry.
0: So the AWA, which was that kind of very big independent regional promotion based out of Minneapolis and... You know, know, when the NWA had lots of regional territories, the AWA was this big kind of conglomerate in the Midwest, essentially, that was kind of running all over Minneapolis and a bit further afield. That's where Bobby Heenan came from. That's where Hulk Hogan came from. You know, being Gene Okerlund, when Vince McMahon wanted to make the WWF, he basically hoovered up, you know, 60% of the AWA. So that was like kind of, that was known as like the real wrestling company, like in many respects, because... The main guy in charge, Vern Gagne, was a very celebrated wrestler in his own right. And he also trained countless big names. I mean, he trained Ric Flair, for instance. So, you know, they were kind of a star factory in, in many senses of the word.
1: Right. So he approached Vern Gagne and said, look, I want to advertise this product, Ninja Star Wars. And if we can advertise on your your wrestling show, we will split the profits with you. And so they agreed. It's quite a cl- it is a quite a clever idea to split the profits, you know, because advertising is really expensive on television, even more so in the 80s. And
0: like, they don't tell you the documentary, the of the book, they had these made already. They had like a warehouse full of these fucking, you know, his house was just full of them. You know, like the garage, the car, <laughs> he was just full of these fucking wow. Star Wars things. So yeah, giving half the profits away is probably not such a bad idea. Yeah. Like, you know?
1: <laughs> and it's a, it's a clever idea as well, because like the audience of wrestling... Is is probably gonna be a lot of there will be a lot of families. Yeah, it was kids. like
0: three or four in the afternoon it was on, like so it's basically mm. kid time. Yeah.
1: Know? So pretty ideal really for their audience. So he started advertising it on television and then somehow through advertising it on television he got a job there.
0: So basically, if you want to get kind of an education in the world of wrestling, it seems to be the best thing to do is to hook up with a company that's either on its last legs or someone who's on their way out the door, yeah. type of thing because eric bischoff basically went into the awa at a time where after vince mcmahon had already started to do his national expansion you know, right. you know if you had a show that had you know, hulk hogan and bobby the brain heenan and you know, all these kind of recognizable charismatic characters and now them and every other top star in the world it seems is over on this nationally syndicated vince mcmahon shiny wwf wrestlemania cindy Lauper ah So, AWA was really struggling. They showed some clips of, like, you know, empty conference halls, essentially, where there's just a couple of drunk people sat in a chair... So the company was on its last legs and therefore they couldn't afford to staff it, really.
1: Yeah, apparently lots of people had left. So yeah. basically there were a lot of positions available for him to fill and he just had his pick. He could choose like whatever he wanted to do. So he kind of did a bit of this, a bit of that. He did a bit of production. He did a bit of direction, I think.
0: Yeah, so he was given the title of like production assistant, but he was doing everything from like learning how to edit to yeah. working the cameras... They were still quite closed off in terms of telling him anything about how yeah. the business brackets, you know, kayfabe, all that. Bischoff would have been the exact type of person who would have been very much in any other circumstances if he knocked on the door of a big company and said, "Hey, can I work for you?" No, absolutely not, because he's not—he's not a wrestling person. Yeah, it's because they were desperate. Yeah, and honestly, it's the most fortunate thing that ever happened to him because in the company where he went to work, WCW, they did kind of take in many respects when he started you had to have a wrestling background otherwise because it was an old school company they wouldn't want you there yeah and the fact that he had an education from Vern gagne Mm. well fucking hell that's great right you know it's a bonus as well the fact that you happen to be a young yuppie go-getter who has a bit of a business brain as well Mm. i mean i know there's other people who've similarly i know cm punk talked about doing a similar thing when he was in developmental when paul heyman ran developmental in wwe he was he was leaving shortly and he similarly like learned how to do all the tricks of the trade. And I think if you can do that in wrestling and you know what the editors need to do, what the mm. cameramen need to do and all that, that's like super duper important. Yeah,
1: really helpful, I'm sure.
0: So yeah, he ends up working with the AWA and one day there's a sick announcer. So they're like, well, what about that young clean cut kid who's doing a bit of everything? And Bischoff finds himself with bad hair on TV doing all these AWA auditions. Yeah. He looked older back then than he does, like in the nineties.
1: <laughs> yeah, he he does in a way. It's really strange.
0: <laughs> the, the kind of buffon hair didn't really uh, not work. Sue <laughs> He was often referred to as a Ken doll by people in wrestling. That's like. so
1: funny. He is a bit of a Ken doll.
0: I love how he kind of leaned into that, you know, very perfect smile and yeah. all that jazz. We did get to see only for a few seconds. This was tantalizing. This was a total tease. But Bischoff was like, look, I knew the AWA was closing down. I had some experience. And WWF was hiring at the time. They thought, why not pop into WWF and have a bit of an audition? Now, what? What could you describe his audition, what we saw of it?
1: So, he was told to... He was basically given a broom and told, sell me this broom. And... He just seemed very flummoxed and mm-hmm. flustered by the whole thing. We didn't really see much of it, but he clearly struggled and he didn't get the job.
0: Now, as Bischoff was not an employee of WWE when this documentary was made, I think a lot of what happens here is. Uh, it seems to be a negotiation of sorts. Okay, Bischoff in his book is mortified pretty much about that audition that he had <laughs> mortified by the fact that he embarrassed himself in front of Vince McMahon yeah like I think about it, the only time that Vince McMahon had seen him before he came to WWE all those years later was that one audition where he said Veric, sell me on the broom and he's like what does this mean brooms does it mean I'm gonna be put in the dustbin Vince Like, oh. no just sell me on the broom and he was like brooms coming this Sunday uh, that yeah And he just, he couldn't do it. He just couldn't do what Vince wanted you to do, which is just to be able to be enthusiastic about fucking anything. Yeah. But they showed us around nine seconds of that. And I reckon in this, that for every second of footage, they got to show of Bischoff's excruciating interview. They got to show a minute of footage of Eric Bischoff's homebrew beer that he had in the front of every (laughs) fucking shot. Like after that, the audition is like, man, afterwards I just went and I had a beer and just thought about the whole thing long. Like, oh man that's a real oh that's a real refreshing beer then put <laughs> to the talking head of bishop for the rest of the documentary him at the bar with the bottle right in front of the camera yeah. like hang on a second just turn that label first yeah. like you know
1: what's it called again
0: buffalo bill Wild cody it sounds delicious don't get me wrong you know but he's not got a patch on steve austin who seems genuinely a little bit mortified that he has to keep talking about his beer on the uh, straight up steve austin show where he's like we got a beer here I made it, you know, whatever man, you know, you want to drink it, is it, is it, is it nice? Please tell me it's nice. I so. did a thing.
1: <laughs>
0: so, Bischoff, around this time, AWA had gone under, he had bungled his audition with the WWF, he went through personal bankruptcy, just kind of dropped that in there, you know. Is it just me, Joe, or is like you know there's certain things like about kind of and I know I said this is a man in my 30s but I still view the world as being like adults and me you know like this Mm. is somehow older people than me Mm. but I feel like there are there there are but (laughs) there's this whole other adult world like I'm not grown up and there's this grown up world kind of above me okay and in that grown up world everyone does cocaine right and everyone's been bankrupt
1: yes (laughs) (laughs) it just
0: feels like it's the most common thing like ever like you know I
1: can't even imagine how fucking stressful the idea of going bankrupt to me is like worst case nightmare scenario like there's like to me that is equivalent of like going to jail or yeah. something in terms or dying. of dying like, <laughs> or dying in terms of like bad things to happen to you and yet to rich people it seems to be like a rite of passage yeah if
0: you don't do it like if you look at all the billionaires if you've not had a couple of bankruptcies yeah. on your belt, like you know warms you up a little bit yeah. i think actually having the bankruptcy probably prepared bischoff because i think you have to have almost that kind of a what the fuck attitude to money to to be that successful because you know you and I I think we're we're ridiculously thrifty (laughs) making our own preserves type of a thing you know this is a this is a house where many jumpers are worn when it gets cold uh, you know (laughs) and I think that you have to have an almost casual relationship with with the notion of millions the notions Mm. of boom and bust because, I mean, Heyman didn't give a shit about bankruptcy. Yeah. He didn't even show up to his bankruptcy hearings in like, court. I can't
1: even imagine that. What the fuck? Like? Uh, it makes me so anxious to think <laughs>
0: about it. So, like, Bischoff, like, he's just casual. Casual as you're like, yeah, it's gone through bankruptcy. No big deal. And he had essentially made a good enough impression in AWA that one of the guys there, Greg Gagne, who was the son of Vern, and even though Greg didn't like Bischoff really that much, he was like, right, well, look, I'll, I'll put a call in you know i'll put college to wcw i have some friends there and he was hired for wcw under the sole instruction of being the fourth tier announcer
1: yeah the backup 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 announcer so him and
0: ddp were going out and like <laughs> as ddp said bro our tv show went out at 4 a.m in moose breath iowa <laughs> so not not necessarily the a team you know this is the uh the nigel McGuinness, byron saxton maybe but the idea of their team was that they were there to make the other announcers feel paranoid about their position. Right. You you had a hard time understanding how this dynamic could possibly
1: work. Like. Yeah, it's just, it's just very strange to me, this concept. But they made it very clear that the reason Eric Bischoff was hired is because he was young and handsome. Yeah. <laughs> and his job was to threaten, basically, in, a, in a sort of an abstract, casual way threaten the jobs of the other announcers to kind of put keep them on their toes and show you you know you better be happy in your role here and do what you're told because there's someone
0: shiny and new who's going to replace yeah, you for half the money and
1: look how handsome he is
0: if you're trying to have a hard time understanding it guys it's basically WWE's policy on hiring women for you know basically the year 1998 <laughs> to 2008 like you know you better be thankful because there's someone young and hot coming up here I don't know if we should get like younger hotter versions of ourselves to kind yeah. of just hire them keeping the wings just to kind of light the keep fire on under toes. us a little bit like you Lucky know? we're
1: podcasters, so what we look like doesn't really matter.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, but maybe there'll be people out there with hotter voices than us, Joe. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see it, folks, but sparkles came out of Joe's mouth when she when she made that noise. <laughs> so yeah, um, the first time DDP and Eric Bischoff ever met they got in a fist fight in a bar. (laughs) Amazing. Just, bro, just two alphas, you know? Two alphas, bro. Just two stags, you know, bucking each other in the rut, bro. You know? I gotta respect that. It just seems like two idiots. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Although I would have loved to have seen it happen because DDP is fucking huge. He's an absolute monster of a man. And Eric Bischoff is tiny.
0: (laughs) Now, Bischoff is very cool, calm and collected. And, you know, a lot of folks have been in touch. I was asking about you know, Bischoff's podcast, 83 Weeks, where he goes through the entirety of his run where he, uh, where he beat WWE in the ratings and all that. And, you know, a lot of people say he's very chilled out compared to how he used to be because he was one of those people, I think, kind of like Vince Russo, who was a little bit defensive of their legacy because they had rightly or wrongly been attacked ad nauseum for 20 years straight about decisions that they had made. And Bischoff is very kind of calm, cool, collected type of a customer in all these interviews. But he has this one random line here that really He's like, whoa, there's the Eric Bischoff I grew up hating. He's like, yeah, you know, Jim Ross, he was the top, top announcer at the time. There were three announcers above me, but make no mistake about it. I would have cut their hearts out with a wooden stick to get their jobs.
1: A wooden stick. Cut their hearts out. Mm. Yikes. Not even like a wooden knife. A wooden stick. I know You'd that's have gonna to be kind a kind of stab and wedge and stab and wedge. I and... thought you would
0: have to kind of do a little kind of you roll in it like you're gonna start a fire to kinda of right. pierce the, the torso and then kind of poke around a bit like <laughs> I don't know. That's gonna be a long day at the office. Yeah. Very visceral. So WCW had a lot in common with AWA at the time. It was uh, an old timey promotion that had kind of old timey values about what wrestling should be and that the way things had been done was the way things should be done. And as a result of that WCW ...was losing millions and millions and millions of dollars. Bischoff had really signed up with a company that was losing tens of millions of dollars.
1: Jesus.
0: And WCW as a whole is a whole episode, really, you know. um, I could argue that even the Monday Night Wars would be. But, I mean, as you need to know in terms of broad strokes... ...we talked before about the NWA being that kind of collection of regional territories and promotions... ...that had one governing body with representatives from all those territories... Essentially, the biggest and most successful of those territories that included people like Ric Flair, etc., those were bought up by Ted Turner and he turned that into WCW. So there is a continuity between the NWA and WCW. They're not one and the same, but a lot of the same people, staff, wrestlers, stars, and in this case, the ethos were very, very similar because even though it was owned by, you know, Ted Turner, he's the guy who faded CNN. Mm. Just so I want to point this out, you kept telling me that Ted Turner was hot.
1: Don't tell people that I'm deeply ashamed (laughs) He is though, he's handsome He's a handsome man, Ted Turner, okay We need to start coming up with a list of who's handsome I'm not cool with the fact that I find Ted Turner hot (laughs) I don't know, I
0: mean like Uh, Part of me is kind of looking at Ted Turner and going, "Will I grow up to look like that? Like my dad has a mustache." Like, (laughs) oh god, he
1: does look a bit like your dad, (laughs) a little bit, like you know. I find your dad hard—a
0: long, thin, stretched-out version. Like, you know, this is some weird shit right here. But WCW was still kind of operating under this old ethos. They had the kind of old NWA guys who were, you know, running things the way they thought they should be. You know, at one point they hired a guy called Jim Hurd, who's like, right, look, the wrestling people, they aren't working, so let's hire Jim Hurd. He's a vice president for Pizza Hut. Maybe he'll know how to do things. And that's how we got probably 60 to 75% of the content of our first ever live show, How Too Silly. The Ding Dongs, Oz, etc. All that came. So this is not a very vibrant company. They decide, Bill Shaw, he is the head of sports for Turner. Now, Turner's a big media conglomerate. We're watching succession at the moment, so this is very yeah. easy for us to, you know, to reconcile with. They own movies, TV, news outlets, uh, sports teams, all that. So, very, very diverse company. And Bill Shaw interviews a whole bunch of people, and Bischoff, who reckons he's on his way out the door, says, fuck it, I'll, I'll interview for the top job, executive producer of WCW. This would be the first time there was an executive producer role. And he was declared to be an ideal fit.
1: It's so funny to think.
0: 39 years old, Eric Bischoff becomes the executive producer of a multi-million dollar wrestling company, having had less than 10 years experience, probably all to be said.
1: Oh, to have the confidence of a white man. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I mean, explain, explain, there's some folks who are probably wondering, what what do you mean by that? And maybe just explain for folks who, 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 what what is it about Eric Bischoff and how you might kind of exemplify that?
1: Well, a lot of studies have shown that white men will apply for roles that they're only 60 50 percent qualified to do mm-hmm. whereas women and people of color and minority groups tend to only apply for roles that they are 100 percent qualified to do right i see so to have the confidence of a white man means to really believe in yourself and believe that you are deserving of opportunities even even if you are not but maybe you are
0: i think i've got a perfect story a from my past that perfectly exemplifies that I was one summer when I was in, you know, I, I went to university in Galway. It's My <laughs> spiritual home, uh, Galway is my, my absolute, like, forever place. You know, I, I feel most at home in, in Galway, to be honest. And I wanted to spend my summers there. And I was desperate to try and find a job no matter what. Because if I couldn't find a job, I'd have to go home and, and work back, back with mum and dad. And I didn't want to have to spend my, my summer in the middle of nowhere. I wanted to keep doing my radio show, Joe. <laughs> so I applied to work for the Galway Races, which is a really large, very expansive, week or two week long kind of event of like horse racing, betting, parties, gambling, all that jazz. I know nothing about horses, I know nothing about gambling. I applied to do it. And I walked in, they're like, okay, Kevin Tell me what a bet is. I'm like, I bet you I will. I had in a fucking breeze. They asked me all the basics. Like if someone was, you know, had two to one odds, what would that mean? I was like, well, I've done statistics in uni. So means, <laughs> let, me, let me try and work this out and bullshit my way through it. And all I did was talk about how I'd done statistics and that I had a radio show. And I was genuinely flummoxed about what the fuck I was doing there. And they were like, you got balls, kids. We're going to give you a special job where you're going to be like you know, had a, a team of people and you're going to help the old people how to gamble because you got a personal touch and i was like I, I have failed upwards here yeah and i I got the job and afterwards i did actually turn it down because i i just i didn't you know as as fun as it was to get a job that i obviously was unqualified for to actually do that job i was like no i it shouldn't be me like so i did <laughs> drop out of it but yeah i i, I totally get that idea of you know, I, I had no right, right in my mind at age 19 to think that I couldn't go in and do this job interview because I was desperate, so therefore I, was, I, I earned it, right?
1: For the record, <laughs> I'm not saying that I think white men should... Like not be applying for jobs that they're not 100% qualified to do. It's, it's, it can
0: be real fun.
1: What I'm saying is that everyone should apply for jobs that even they're not 100% qualified mm. for. We should all have more confidence in ourselves. Let us all have the confidence of of white men.
0: Yeah, let us all have the confidence to ask for free frozen yogurt from Nando's for the table. <laughs> so you can imagine almost immediately how Eric Bischoff was always... It was destined. You get a job at that age that you're going to take control of a company that has all this kind of Legacy and history and continuity with it. It's it's a tale as old as time itself. An old company that does things its its old traditional way with these values that have been instilled, and then some young guy's going to come in and rip it all up and do however that you know. It's Wolf of Wall Street type of shit here, really. There was no way you could get this job as Eric Bischoff and not become something of a hate figure in the wrestling industry. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, pretty much immediately, you had everyone who was saying like this. They got this kid. That, that was the kid Bischoff,
1: thirty-nine years. Years old. Ridiculous! <laughs> this
0: kid Bischoff's over here, and people were very despondent because you had WCW, which had a couple of really ropey years, and now they were putting the keys to the kingdom in the hands of this this you know guy. With, he's not a real wrestling guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know this business. And then you got Vince McMahon buying everything up. A lot of fans of WCW and the old NWA were were very despondent at the time, right? That this was like going to be a real bad thing because they thought Eric was going to change things, right? Yeah, and he did change things massively and I think this is the part of Eric Bischoff's story that I thought that you would most kind of be endeared to because I know you like that Heyman was a disruptor and he did things a little bit differently I was wondering if you had any thoughts on some of the kind of immediate changes that Bischoff made to WCW Well,
1: I think the most impressive change he made was to change where they filmed the shows themselves. Yeah. So they were filming them originally in arenas, weren't they, that fit like ten thousand people yeah. and only a hundred or so people would turn up. So they were wasting money by by spending it all on renting out massive arenas and only selling like a few hundred tickets.
0: It's a it's a really worth pointing out, I do not think there's a sadder sight in all of wrestling. Than an empty arena Or a Mm. poorly filled arena The sound is terrible You can just hear it Fucking a pin drop Like it's so bad
1: And so he had the really clever idea Of moving the shows From an arena To a studio And the idea was That if they had it it filmed in a studio, they'd have much better camera and audio equipment, so it'd be a much higher standard for television and they'd have a lot more control over the, the televised product as well.
0: Because it is being done in a kind of sanitised environment. It's mm. worth pointing out, it wasn't just any studio, it was Disney MGM That's as well. the thing,
1: yeah. So he he realised that the optics of having their shows in these big empty arenas made it look really like hokey and sort of unprofessional and sad.
0: Yeah, there's something about like a guy asleep with his arms folded mm. with a, you know, cigarette in his mouth. that's <laughs> kind of, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really scream
1: wrestling. Yay. And he realised very cleverly that just by having an overhead shot at the start of the show of the iconic MGM Disney Studios with the big Mickey Mouse ears on the tower, just that shot from a helicopter would... Changed the perception that people had of it being this like kind of hokey local show to being a massive global television product.
0: And that wasn't just for the fans to kind of go, Wow, legit. Because I mean, a lot of the fans were like, Disney, Mickey Mouse, you know, Vince McMahon's having cartoon wrestling and now they're literally going to go and do WCW from the Mickey Mouse studios. Are you kidding me? But advertisers are just going to go, Oh, okay. You know, Vince, to convince advertisers, you know that WWF was kosher. Vince McMahon had to, you know, put on WrestleMania, do all the stuff with MTV, Cindy Lauper. He had to do a lot of expenditure, and all Bischoff did was actually a bit of a deal that immediately gives them this huge credibility. Mm. Well, well, if Disney, the most family company on earth, yeah. if they think wrestling's cool, well then surely you're going to advertise on it. It was very smart. And here's the other thing as well: they didn't really go into detail of. Everyone who went to the Disney MGM theme park got to go to that show for free. Oh. And who's going to be going there? Families on a day out with their kids who are yeah. super excited. You get brought in. It's like one of the rides. You come in, you watch an hour of wrestling. They'd have a thing saying to cheer and like, yay, I'm part of the show. Like you had willing participants who, you know, five seconds before they got in there, didn't even realize they're going to go see a wrestling show. And they actually managed to expose their product to this kind of new family audience just by having like, TNA did the exact same thing they did their tapings from Universal Studios in uh, Florida Wow! it's the exact same business model because someone else is covering your venue your production costs you're always going to have a full house no matter what it's really really good like, yeah. it's it's ingenious and I honestly I even think Full Sail University though, way WWE do that you know I think this is the kind of the precursor mm. to that really of having a, a base where you could do it And the other thing he wanted to do that for as well is that they were spending, you know, hundreds of thousands doing all these house shows, touring around. So, you know, there'd be a non-televised show at a town every night of the week, and you've you know, all these trucks going, setting up arenas, hundreds of people, staff, and then there's like less than a hundred people in the arena.
1: And he said most of those people would have been given free tickets anyway. So like, what the fuck is the point? Yeah. You know.
0: But the only reason they were doing it is because that's what a wrestling company does. Like Mm AEW have said, you know, we're not doing all these ridiculous house shows, you know, running our talent into the ground and making them travel constantly for these shows that aren't even televised. It was really smart because Mm. if you're doing that, then your wrestlers are going to be less banged up, less traveled, really really smart so I mean if I was a wrestler and I was working you know hypothetically working for WCW I'd be happy with some of these changes oh yeah
1: definitely (laughs) and one of the byproducts of them moving the show to Disney as well was that Hulk Hogan was filming Thunder and Paradise there
0: oh man you and I should watch a bit of that sometime So yeah, Thunder in Paradise, I mean, Hogan had said he was gone, done with wrestling.
1: Yeah, he'd left the WWF and was like, no, I'm done with wrestling, not going to do it anymore. And Eric Bischoff apparently got was in touch with Ric Flair. Mm. And Ric Flair was like, oh yeah, he's filming Thunder in Paradise. Maybe you could tempt him to come work for WCW if you know gave him a nice big salary and told him he didn't have to work that hard. And that's what he did.
0: It is so ingenious how he orchestrated all this within Like, no time at all, really. Mm. You know, the legitimacy of being in Disney MGM, that's one thing. But if you want to legitimize yourself in terms of, you know, the wrestling fan at large... And a lot of wrestling fans have been dropping off from WWE at the time. They were going into quite a downwards slump. They hadn't really prepared for life after Hogan, necessarily. And the steroid scandal had really damaged WWE's reputation as it related to Hulk Hogan. So, Bischoff wants to go and hire Hogan. And Hogan obviously wants a lot of money. And this is a company that's struggling. But here's an ingenious thing that they didn't include in the documentary... He got Turner Home Entertainment, not WCW, to pay Hogan's contract.
1: Really? The
0: idea being that Hogan would add so much revenue uh, from VHS and pay-per-view, which was all controlled by Turner Home Entertainment, which is a separate subsidiary of Turner, that they should cover it. So Bischoff and WCW didn't actually have to pay for Hogan.
1: Wow. He did
0: some corporate acrobatics to get another department to pay for it.
1: Oh my God. I wonder how he managed that.
0: Just knowing the right people to ask so jammy and this is the interesting thing like you know and i i do love that we're watching succession about this because there was a lot of talk about how certain executives did not like this wcw business at all they didn't like what bischoff was doing they did not want it to be successful ted turner and the head of turner sports and a couple of others were very passionate about wcw so it felt like there was a constant battle for wcw to get the resources that it actually wanted. And then, of course, we get an even bigger thing. Bischoff, you know, he says he wants to set up some international stuff with uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling through Sonny Ono. They're going to start touring in, you know, in in Japan. They even toured in North Korea. If you can imagine that, wow! A uh, hundred thousand people they had in the attendance for a show with North Korea.
1: Hundred thousand people.
0: Uh, best story about that, by the way, is that Bischoff de- decided not to tell the North Korean leadership that wrestling was fixed oh and rick flair tells a great story in his book about when they're watching one of the matches and one of the generals is like how is he letting him pick him up like that for a simplex <laughs> and rick's like in my match he won't be doing that brother let me tell you <laughs> so they had to try and kayfabe you know the fucking north koreans wow but yeah you know, he always had big ideas and all that and yeah he owes to ted turner hey you know Ted Turner asks him, what can we do to compete? And he says, I don't know, give me two hours of prime time. And he's like, okay, two hours of prime time, head-to-head with WWE. You've got Nitro, got a show. Go, go kick their ass.
1: And it's at this point in the documentary that Eric talks about how he planned to make WCW different from WWF. Yes. And he says that he had this whole plan that he'd spent you know ages working on it was like this genius idea of like a formula of how to make this show successful and totally different from wwe so he'd listed all the things that wwe did with their show so they were taped so he decided that wcw was going to be filmed live you know wwe was all about like animated sort of kind of kiddie characters like the
0: repo man the repo
1: man yeah so wcw was going to be all about reality
0: so no more Oz is what you're telling me. You. Uh, <laughs> no is there wizards. Any role for what Oz in this new WCW? Because I'm no. not on board so far. <laughs>
1: uh, WWE was all about like you know being friendly for people of all ages, whereas WCW was going to be focused much more on an 18 to 35 year old audience.
0: Ah yes, the much catered to 18 to 35 year old demographic. What happens in a few years time when I'm older than that? Will I no longer be catered to? Because I've been catered to my whole goddamn life. <laughs>
1: I do think it's interesting though because like these days the 18 to 35 demographic is like is the target demographic in wrestling.
0: I mean if you wanted to say how you could be different from WWE I mean you want to go for younger than that like yeah you know because most people who watch WWE currently are in their 40s and 50s yeah. and that's the real shocking thing about that you know we need to get them kids watching wrestling for fuck's sake. Mm. Very very uh interesting like kind of that something so simple could seem so genius because it's like yeah you look at the competition you see what they're doing how can you do it different and therefore better Mm -hmm. i have to mention because i've watched a lot of bischoff over the years he's done a lot of interviews he's done a lot of documentaries all that jazz and all i'll say for you folks is Find in your life an anecdote that you tell with as much joy in your heart as Eric Bischoff telling the anecdote of Ted Turner giving him two hours on WCW Nitro. Because every time without fail me, and then Ted says to me, Eric, what do we got to do to compete? And I'm like... What's this guy talking about? Compete I wasn't prepared I wasn't for this I wasn't prepared for this. I just
1: had to pull something out of my ass.
0: Someday when there's enough time I would like to make a compilation of all of the Ted Turner noises of uh, <laughs> Eric. What do we gotta do with that? Uh, Bill, give him two hours. <laughs> He didn't say that, he just said, what have, what have we got to do to compete?
1: <laughs> you know, that, that's
0: it, really. But Bischoff likes that story. Yeah. He likes that story almost as much as Mick Foley likes the story about the ratings changing when they tried to get away. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got a favourite story in wrestling. So, we start off with Monday Nitro. How does that strike you as a title for a wrestling show?
1: I don't like it. How come? What does it mean? Nitro, baby. What's that?
0: Nitroglycerin. What's that? That's the thing about WCW Nitro. It'd just be... <laughs> they'd be exploding. We're coming back on WCW Nitro. Okay. The, the logo would just be WCW Nitro and it'd, it'd go through the city and everything was exploding and then it go up to the big sign and it would go... <laughs>
1: So what's that got with nitro?
0: Nitroglycerin is an explosive thing. Oh, okay. I also thought maybe nitro in terms of like nitro charge, rocket fuel type right. of thing. This is obviously before Too Fast, Too Furious came out. So I'm not sure hmm. if they're talking about the Nas or not, no. you know. But nitro emanated from all sorts of places. The first edition of which was from the Mall of America, Joe, do you think we'll ever live in a world where we get wrestling at the Arndale Shopping Centre oh, in Manchester? Oh
1: my God, can you imagine? It would be so good. <laughs> they should totally bring that back.
0: Absolutely. There's so many big, deep drops. Like, you know, you could easily do some big table spots there. Like.
1: <laughs> Off Yo Sushi into, uh, yeah. into the ring. <laughs> hey,
0: we built our shopping centre on a fucking cliff. Come wrestle here. Eric then describes what has to be, in my opinion, His most exaggerated, biggest load of shite thing in this whole... This this wasn't in his book, by the way. I'm pretty sure it wasn't. So I don't know what the fuck he's talking about with this. But he's like, I had this idea. Because I felt that WWE wasn't providing us with closure with its storylines. So my idea was to have Sarsa. Story. Anticipation. Reality. Surprise. Action. So he's basically saying that all of his storylines... Hmm. We're gonna have anticipation, a big action moment, mm-hmm. development, kind of conclusions, and he drew a little bell-shaped curve and everything yeah. to show that point. Now, obviously, we can't get into every WCW storyline, but did that seem like something that he adhered to? In Absolutely
1: not. No way. It's a really good idea. The whole principle of Sasa is solid. Yeah. Like it's really good brand development guidelines. Like very good advice. He obviously does know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. The trouble is, he's all talk. He, he doesn't follow through. Like, if you actually take Sasa and look at anything that he did at WCW, other than, like, the very first storyline, I guess, involved in the NWO. Yeah, the first, very first yeah, bit of it. Yeah, the first bit that was good. He doesn't, he doesn't use Sasa at all. He completely goes off the rails and forgets about it.
0: I mean, you're talking about a company... You know, and there's, there's wrestlers I think who we've yet to discuss in detail, like Chris Jericho, for instance. There were people within WCW who were basically writing their own storylines. Jericho would go and just do kind of whatever and fuck it. You know, yeah. I've got promo time, I'll just do this. You know, that's not fucking SARS. It's just madness. It's just people doing whatever they want. Yeah. You know, and it's so funny. He's kind of pointing out, like, oh, you know, WWE weren't giving us this at the time. It's like, you know You think Ninety four, ninety three that had like Owen Hart and Bret Hart, you know, the two of them teaming up as brothers, them failing at the Royal Rumble to, to win tag belts, Owen getting frustrated and kicking Brett's leg out of his leg. You know, this coming after a survivor series where he was the only member of the family to lose. And then this leads up to a big clash at WrestleMania where Own finally beats his bigger brother and then goes on to challenge him for the belt later on. I mean, that's the most Sarsa motherfucking mm-hmm. thing ever. Yeah. I kill for Sarsa like that these days. <laughs> Instead all we got with Bischoff is like storylines that really start off and very rarely did they conclude. Yeah. You know, I mean very, very rarely. I mean, you talk about wrestlers who we wrestlers in WCW who we've covered on the show, Scott Hall, you know, Goldberg, these aren't people who really had
1: Big storylines, yeah. <laughs> they had
0: stories, but they didn't have conclusions. No. arts. they had stories. They got really popular, and then they fucked up and did stuff that was really weird, like making Scott Hall an alcoholic in kayfabe as well as real life, or making Goldberg be a fucking stalker. You <laughs> know, it's oh, a terrible Jesus. idea. So, another thing, though, that you were very, very impressed by was a, a very world-changing thing that Bischoff mm. did with with wrestling, and that was with the backstage.
1: Yeah, it's something that Adam Bibolo from the Attitude Era podcast has talked about before, which is world-building in wrestling, mm. and the importance of, like, it's in the universe that exists in wrestling, but not in the ring. Right. Like, there's this whole world that exists in wrestling, that happens outside of the ring and there's this sort of backstage area you know car parks or like you know other locations like the
0: gorilla position the locker rooms you know yeah exactly
1: like lots of like world building like locations that you don't normally get to see and i was very impressed that eric bischoff kind of introduced those as a sort of a backstage concept Mm. that before you didn't get to see wrestling happen or not even wrestling but you didn't get to see like television of the backstage area. yeah, the guerrilla position stuff.
0: It's really kind of, I feel in many ways, a little bit unfortunate that some of Bishop's best kind of innovations are now a little bit passe. I'm not saying Bishop hasn't got good ideas in, in this instance. I'm just thinking that his ideas were so good they've been replicated so many times now because... The original NWO angle, the idea of an invasion happening with mm. outsiders coming in like this and they're having to be like armed police in the ring with their hands on their guns going, we don't know what's going on. They told stories in this about how with some of the backstage riots that they were doing with the NWO beating up the wrestlers, the people in the local area were calling the police. It's so funny. You know, but... These days, you know, we're in November 2019 at the moment where there's an NXT invasion going on and everyone's sitting on their hands and checking their phones, mm. you know, because the big invasion is so done in wrestling it right is, now. Yeah. You know, it's just done. But I, I I guess I was wondering, could you see how this was important for the time? Oh, I guess. yeah,
1: definitely. And, you know, it's, it's something that I still think I, I think the trouble is it's not done well enough these days. Mm. I think it's done a bit too readily and not to a high enough standard like if you're going to do it you should have a reason to do it and have a purpose we're
0: talking about it's November the one night of the year where Raw and Smackdown go head to head <laughs>
1: except
0: for the wildcard rule is in effect
1: like it makes sense in the storyline of WCW why Hall and Nash were there they were originally employed by WCW yeah. as wrestlers and they weren't given proper angles and matches Yeah, they were, one
0: was Oz the other one was the, the diamond studs, yeah. you know yeah. and so
1: they left to go work for WWE and then when they actually she left WWE in real life the storyline this is so complicated I'm so sorry people who don't really get wrestling and I'm trying to explain both kayfabe and shoot storylines at but this same was like time. I think
0: blurring those two things it together was. that's another Bischoff kind of yeah. it's on this stage it's, it's quite an innovative thing
1: but in real life Kevin Nash and Scott Hall left WWE to go work for WCW as wrestlers. Mm. But in kayfabe, they were still working for WWE and were invading WCW to, I don't know, try and mess things up, I guess. Yeah,
0: they were implying... That they had been sent yes. by the other company. Like, what's he doing here? And you know, when Scott Hall debuted in WCW, I don't even know Scott Hall, that's fucking razor remote. He's like, hey yo, Chico. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, it's obviously meant to be that character. And it's something that they don't obviously don't talk about in the documentary or really talked about in, in his book in, in much detail. But there was no more so than with ECW we mentioned. With Eric and WCW, there was constant litigation between WWE and WCW. And one of the first big bones of contention was that WWE sued Eric for implying that the characters of Razor Ramon and Diesel... Were, were now in WCW and their characteristics and their trademarks and their catchphrases and the tone of their voice and all that, those are Vince McMahon copyrights. Right. So you can't use them. And it's ridiculous because at the same time over in WWE, they had hired two randomers to portray Diesel and Razor Ramon. Oh my God. And they were implying that they had been sent back over from WCW to attack <laughs> them. And like, all i'll say folks is pity and we said it before pity the fucking judges the juries and the lawyers who had to sit if they weren't wrestling fans and that's probably the only way you made it on the jury had to sit and listen to how how scott hall has a cadence in his voice is infringing on a copyright in a wrestling go co- oh my god it's such a fucking mess
1: wow what
0: an absolute mess <laughs> uh, at this point jericho the documentary says eric was not like anyone else i'd seen before he was a maverick 60 second hog montage (laughs) (laughs) fucking hell now eric has been accused of many things in his career and we talked about a lot of things that people liked that he did or things that he did that maybe were a positive net benefit for wrestling as a whole but some of the dirty tactics then joe that eric bischoff was using in these monday night wars as they like to call them it's so
1: sneaky, <laughs> but it's clever as well. I, I don't know if it really works, but...
0: Okay, well, well let's talk through the, the, the biggest one that people had an issue with at the time, and still to this day. Spoiling the results of a taped show when you're alive. Yes. Well, where so, does that settle with you?
1: I mean, I think it's, it's not, you know, it's not the coolest thing in the world to do. <laughs> I don't know if it's actually practical. It's really difficult for me to say because, like, for instance, at you, mm-hmm. when you were growing up, like this wouldn't have impacted you no. because you were of the attitude of like WCW was uncool.
0: Absolutely, my my brother and his friends had me kind of in the the ECW brainwash kind of as I'd said in, yeah. in our ECW episode, which was ECW is is obviously the best, even though we can't really watch it, you know. But those couple of VHSs we saw, the Sandman bleed led us to believe is definitely the best <laughs> because Steve Austin only drinks and Sandman smokes and drinks, so ECW is the best. Right? WWF is is what you watch. But WCW was the devil.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. You
0: know, as as Tommy Dreamer says, the most 2004 line ever on the ECW documentary, Eric Bischoff was the Taliban, if you were a wrestling (laughs) fan at the time. So, yeah.
1: I mean, I'd love to know, and if anyone's listening to this, who this applies to, please get in touch. I'd love to know what general wrestling fans felt about it who who weren't of the opinion that wcw was like the devil and no, who actually
0: everyone had internet at the time so i mean these spoilers i mean you can find any tape show that you can find the spoilers for if you really want to mm. but i mean that wasn't really a thing i guess it was i think in some people's complaints is that if you wanted to watch that show later and then it gets spoiled for you like without your choice you know a lot i think a lot of people at the time more than they would have realized wanted to watch both shows mm, that's
1: what i was wondering and i
0: think eric bischoff trying to stir this pot he, I think Bischoff was doing more to say watch our show and not their show mm. whereas Vince was just kind of watch our show you Yeah, know, that that was what they were because yeah I thought it was quite telling and I don't know if I'm reading too much into this that we watched two separate documentaries that both made this point about how bad it was and both of those documentaries use the exact same clip of them spoiling something yeah and that was your know, bishop just doing a quick rundown as Big Bubba Rogers makes his way to the ring looking like a fucking million dollars, might I just yeah. say. Boss man in a suit? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know how prolific it was. I mean, I've just heard people say it and all that. I've watched a lot of Nitro in the time. I don't know if it's kind of like... When they do it, it's kind of like a bit... Blah, 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 he runs through it so fast. Yeah,
1: you it, could easily just ignore it, really.
0: And if anything, in many ways, oftentimes it made it seem intriguing.
1: And that's the thing they they used the example of of Mick Foley winning the championship yeah, for the when very he beat first time the Rock in 1999 yeah. yeah and the fact that it really backfired on them because they were saying, you know, oh, over on WWE, we've got Mick Foley winning the championship. Uh, That's going to be good television.
0: Oh yeah. That's going to put butts in seats. Sorry. Even more insulting.
1: But apparently (laughs) half a million people changed channel and tuned over to WWE instead of WCW when he said that. And then Ted Turner
0: said, uh, Mick, what are we going (laughs) to do? But let me, yeah, that, that completely blew up in their face. Hmm. It does a stupid thing. And I think it's one thing when like, in 1995, or whatever, when WWE is like going to headline you with, I don't know, Bret Hart taking on the repo man on Raw, which is, you know, not necessarily that exciting. But in 1998, 1999, they're going to be like, oh, Steve Austin's going to come in and like do a beer bath and everyone that'll put some butts in. I mean, <laughs> what are you going to say? They've got a genuinely exciting show yeah. on paper. If anything, I think it just led, it led people to be aware that the other show existed. I think Eric tried too hard to turn people off the other thing. It'd be like if we spent our podcast talking about someone else's podcast (laughs) all the time. Like you're gonna, by hook or by crook, get intrigued by it. Mm. You know, if I spent, you know, an hour talking about what's gonna happen on another show or something like that, how bad it is and why you shouldn't listen to it, Out of curiosity, a couple of people are going to turn over and listen. Yeah. And the reality is is that WWF was never as bad or as boring as they were making it out to be. And in terms of WCW, the other way around, WWF just pretended they didn't exist.
1: Which is the high road, really.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's right now. We've reviewed a lot of AEW over on our Patreon page. And I think it's a big, big, big thing AEW needs to get the fuck over immediately Mm. in 2019 where we are at the end of the year stop mentioning the other company i don't don't care about the other company they have the narrative they exist they don't need you filling the void with their Mm. name they'll do it themselves yeah just focus on your own thing you know
1: it is interesting that they haven't learned that lesson from wcw
0: yeah because whatever you can learn about from eric bischoff's successes his failures are a lot more enlightening i think yeah and there's certain things that you know he kind of i think with the success that he was getting and they were really lighting a fire but that nwo angle in 1996 really really was just unlike anything that was on tv at the time but then he starts kind of losing the run of himself a little bit and i think eric really started impacting people's careers negatively almost without realizing it i mean what do you know about alundra blaze putting the women's championship in the bin
1: i know that she put it in the bin and then was like blacklisted from wrestling pretty much she was told you will never have a job in this industry again.
0: She put the WWF Women's Championship in the bin. She literally showed up and said Hi, I'm Medusa, the former London Blaze. This is the WWF Women's Championship. She just put it right in the bin and they were like Ho ho! What's this part of a story? And they just did it.
1: And Eric was bragging about how he knew it was a really bad idea for her and it would really damage her career and make her look really bad and he convinced her to do it anyway even though she really didn't want to it was like ah, yeah she really didn't want to but I made her yeah, I the- told her it was a really good idea I really convinced her
0: yeah, the 2016 doc is just him like looking at the sunset you know what is you know, I'm just here with my dog you know I don't really think about middle hundred that much anymore I'm, you know she's great we could always go have a beer or a steak or whatever you have know, the 2004 doc I don't think she was happy when she did that but needless to say I think I made her do that anyway. <laughs> that- was kind of a gray area ethically i believe at the time you know it just he shit. was i think he's he's chilled out a lot though when you compare those yeah. two you know but that was horrible because that just made everyone paranoid you know when brett you know the whole thing with the montreal screw job one of the biggest concerns they had was that brett was going to do that with the WWF belt yeah you know ecw filed a federal injunction against uh, mike awesome and wcw because he was the champion and he showed up at wcw and Heyman was convinced bischoff was going to have his belt be put in the bin as well. Everyone was convinced everyone's belt was going to go in the bin because of this. Oh, <laughs> wow. Can you imagine, again, the legal proceedings?
1: Oh, gee. My client,
0: Mike Awesome, <laughs> 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 allegedly was going to drop the ECW World Heavyweight Championship in the bin on Nitro. Who are you again? Like, Oh, my God. <laughs> and another great one from Bischoff around this time. You know, 83 weeks on top. you are got to lose the run of yourself. Sorry, on-
1: I've just realised... That's why his podcast is called 83 Weeks. Because of the number of times he
0: beat him. There you go. You, you very much put a you know, time limit on your podcast. Yeah. Like, you know. That's why we should maybe turn ours into, why to wrestling? It'd be so existential, <laughs> it would just go on forever then, you know? But yeah, him calling out Vince McMahon for a fight on pay-per-view.
1: Yeah, that was great. Hey, he's like, uh, yeah, Vince, if you think you're so hard, why don't you come and fight me? And I can't remember who it was they interviewed, but someone... It was, was like that, Hogan, wasn't it, or was something like that?
0: Yeah, he was like, he's going to beat you for real. Yeah, he's going to
1: like <laughs> literally beat the crap out of you. Like he, He's tough, and he will beat you. Even though Eric Bischoff has a black belt in karate, yeah. it is known that Vince McMahon would beat him up for real.
0: I think Vince McMahon literally would cut his heart out with a wooden stick. I think that would have been the thing that he did there. <laughs> I mean, Bischoff was a first in this instance, in that he made himself an on-screen character as the boss. Right, yeah. And he did this in, like, 96, 97, long, long, long before Vincent Manny ever thought of being Mr. McMahon or, you know, being a character with the volume turned way up. The original heel boss who ran the company and was, like, doing it to get his buddies over, you know, the NWO. That was Bischoff, you so know. So it's a
1: really good idea. Like, genuinely, that's one of my favourite things in wrestling. But full the, the heel authority... The heel authority figure. And yeah. I know it's something that fans who've been watching wrestling longer than I have don't really like anymore and was, they think it's a bit yeah. overdone. But for me... I love it. I think it's very effective.
0: But yeah, I don't think they would ever have the gumption to say it, but did Vince McMahon rip off Bischoff a little bit in that regard? Yeah. I mean, I was saying to you, I don't think it'd be the case that Vince McMahon is like, have you seen what Bischoff is doing over mm. there? I, I should do that because I'm a good performer and Vince is an amazing performer yeah. as, as a character. But I kind of would feel that wouldn't happen. But would, would Vince's inner circle watch WCW and kind of go, fuck, if he can do it, Vince could definitely do it. Mm. He's way better at this and go, hey, why don't you know we leverage this Bret Hart thing a little bit and get you as a character I think Bischoff really did make himself uh, a pioneer in that respect for for better or for worse him calling Edwin though for a fight that he knew he wasn't going to show up to and he put that on pay-per-view yeah my favorite thing about it and I don't know why this has stuck with me but when I first found out about this. This angle happening. This is way back in like two thousand and three or four. I'd, I'd read about it in a book, like the death of WCW. Like in terms of a crazy thing that Bischoff did. So WWE didn't have a network at the time. They had something called WWE 247 which was a, an online service where they had like lots of kind of uh, serialized footage put together into programs. And my internet would spend an hour trying to load up, you know, a fifty second clip. And they had the clip from Slamberry where Vince McMahon was going to take on Eric Bischoff, and it's Eric Bischoff in the ring saying, "Come on, Vince." come out and fight me you got the balls and then you know on the show what happened was no one came out and he's like Mm -hmm. ah you're a coward or whatever but WWE for some reason opted to edit the footage so when Eric goes come on Vince baby I'm here in the ring what do you got come and fight me they played no chance Like, they dubbed it in. Wow. So they edited to make out that Vince was teasing that he was going to be there, but then didn't show up.
1: Oh my god, that's so funny. So I've yet to go back and
0: watch the Slamboree on the network, but I hope that they've left that bit of George Lucas-esque editing. Maybe Vince's blue spear comes in and gives them a kick (laughs) to the balls or something like that.
1: Apparently Vince was busy. Ah, of course. And that's why he couldn't show up to fight. You know what, though? I think it's really funny, because... I'm sure this really pissed Vince off mm. because knowing Vince McMahon and his attitude towards people who have been approached to fight and then haven't agreed to fight. Yeah. He hates people who do that. If you are like challenged, you better fucking face off and better win. Yeah. Cause that's what Vince McMahon believes in.
0: That's his kind of code. I was telling Joe recently about uh, you know, a wrestler who we've seen a couple of times here and there on the podcast. Johnny Nitro slash John Morrison, Johnny Mundo, what Johnny Impact, and his girlfriend at the time cheated on him, and Vince McMahon thought that because his girlfriend cheated on him and then he didn't fight the person in question, that he was less than a man, and therefore you know didn't get pushed, yeah. wasn't taken seriously. That was just like you know there's stories of you know Kofi Kingston he was went on a private jet with Vince once, and he's like he's chatting to Jericho before and saying like what do I got to do to get Vince to take me seriously? He's just like just fight with him. Like, just whatever, pick whatever it is you think that he will disagree with you on. Stake your ground and fight the man and he will respect you. And that is, like, again, <laughs> much like Succession. It's, it's so fucked up and so, so toxic. Fucked up, yeah. Fighting isn't the only way to determine someone's value. <laughs> and I do love that on the documentary they weren't like, obviously Vince McMahon wasn't going to show up on the competitor's show. Just, he was busy. Yeah. Otherwise he would have kicked his ass. <laughs> so, obviously being on top for 83 weeks I think it got to Eric's head a little bit there was a, a particular promo that we saw of Eric in the ring uh, this was actually a lot of the inspiration for the, uh, the the artwork was this particular promo of Eric talking about how good it is to be king could you describe this for me?
1: yeah he dressed up as a king and sat on his motorcycle that was like had to be like airlifted into the ring it was like
0: Operation Dumbo Drop but with a fat hog <laughs>
1: And he sat on this motorcycle dressed as a king and bragged about beating WWE's ratings. And apparently, the next week, WWE beat WCW in the ratings for the very first time. We watched
0: this promo and, you know, WWE were a three-hour show. There's a lot of fucking downtime. There's a lot of shit that you kind of go, why is this going on so long? You know, there's there's often times where things just feel like they've been stretched out for no reason. But the thing about the Monday Night Wars is that, you know, when we watched that Russo Raw for, for that episode, for instance, the 99 episode... One thing you could say about it is that there was quick turnover. Stuff was happening, happening, happening because yeah. they're worried about you switching over. And Eric Bischoff, in his infinite wisdom, thinking that a 15-minute promo of him with his fucking hands behind his back and his you know the feet up on the big hog and the crowd—you can just hear them—they sound restlessly bored. Yeah, they sound like kids who've been in assembly for too long. And he's <laughs> gone. It's not even easy to beat Vince McMahon in the ratings anymore. No, like, honestly. Who gives a fuck about ratings?
1: Yeah, come on. No fans care about ratings.
0: These, Shawn Michaels said in one of these interviews that we watched, he was like, before 1996, I don't think I heard a single person talk about ratings in this company Ever. We just like assumed we did okay. That's then, what happens
1: when an executive producer becomes a television character on wrestling. Yeah,
0: exactly. Because what's he going to talk about? Like, <laughs> I had a great boardroom meeting this week, <laughs> like, you know, let's go through the minutes of the latest Turner <laughs> board meeting. and so yeah, I think Bischoff is one of those people that his heel character was so good and so watchful. We're going to talk a lot more about that in a little bit. Obviously, his actual character work, but I wondered if you saw a bit. Of the kind of... You know, we talk about characters... Wrestlers who kind of start to believe their characters a little bit. Do you think Bischoff kind of got a little bit seduced by his own success? Oh, yeah,
1: of course. Definitely. (laughs) He loves himself.
0: (laughs) More than Vince?
1: Yeah, I think more than Vince. I think there's a part of Vince that kind of hates himself. Which I think is what makes Vince more interesting.
0: (laughs) Can I explain the part of Vince that hates himself?
1: Yeah, like... I think he hates the fact that he is a human being who has to sleep and right. eat and go to the toilet and you know has human biological functions and has to exist in this mortal coil. Whereas like, Eric Bischoff, I feel, just fucking loves himself. He thinks he is God's gift to everything.
0: And I'm saying this now as someone who has had to introduce his co-host, his partner and best friend, to Vince McMahon for yucks and giggles making grown men kiss his ass on mm. TV... And yet I would say a line that Vince McMahon would not cross is I do not think Vince McMahon would sit on a fat hog or otherwise and talk about how great the ratings were. Yeah. They'll put out a WWE did you know we've got a billion social media followers but in terms of him a character saying we're doing real great pal I don't think Vince has ever actually done anything of that sort.
1: No, he would more likely do something differently self-indulgent, like have a 15-minute segment of like beautiful women in underwear kissing him or something.
0: <laughs> or, I mean, the one time I think Vince allowed himself to do that was when he bought WCW. He's like, right, now I'm going to get all this out of my system. <laughs> but yeah, Bischoff, it was kind of like, it was a bit chaotic how things were running because you just had these lengthy promos from all these guys, all of whom had contracts that were... Six, seven figures, all of which were saying you could do whatever you wanted. You had creative control. And Bischoff, as much as he loved talking and being out there as a character, he didn't like confrontation. He didn't like saying to someone, no, you shouldn't do that. That's a bad, that's a bad that's idea. That's so
1: funny that he didn't like confrontation when he tries so hard to make himself out to be this like scrappy, fighty underdog who's mm. like, you know, controversy creates cash. You know, he makes out as though he's this total, like, hardener who doesn't fear conflict whatsoever.
0: I mean, they burn the candle at both ends, really, in many respects, because I think Bischoff had convinced himself he was building up a great reputation with these wrestlers and all that. But I think, really, what he was doing was that he was, you know, hey, I get to ride my motorbike with Hulk Hogan. I got to drink a couple of beers before the show at Hall and Nash. You know, he was... You know, people said he was one of the boys. and don't say that in a good way. Like, hey, he's no. one. like one you know, Heyman would come in and put his desk in the middle of the locker room. One yeah. of the boys. No, one of the boys, and then he wants to go hang out and party and play wrestler with him, you know? And I think that really was something that makes Bischoff a little bit cringy to watch back in mm. these days, is this guy who's just hanging out with all the wrestlers and...
1: Do you know what it reminds me of? Mm. In schools, you get sometimes the teacher who wants to hang out with all the kids Absolutely. and like lets them all hang out with them at lunchtime and like bends the rules for the cool kids I, there
0: was an exact teacher like that when i was training like <laughs> literally like like literally i remember going into the lunchroom and she was surrounded by all these kids and they're like you can't sit with us And like she's my uh, my colleague i have to ask her about lesson plans but, you know yeah i totally get that like kind of so this person who Really, by rights, shouldn't be there. It is inappropriate. Yeah. You're crossing a, a threshold of authority and all that. But, oh, it feels great because everyone tells you how cool you are, yeah. you know? <laughs> and I'm sure there's nothing better than when you're someone who's in his early 40s like Bischoff is, having all these cool big muscle men tell you that you're the fucking <laughs> shit, man. You're absolutely awesome. But, yeah, Bischoff was doing... Great big expansive things, you know, anything he could stick WCW's name to, he would. He got loads of great video games out there. They had action figures that were being produced on a much higher scale. A lot more merch, you know. There's a lot of bendable WCW stuff came out because of Bischoff. Really lit a fire under their merchandise division. There was the Nitro Bar and Grill... They had their own restaurant in Las Vegas, Joe. Wow. Move over Pastinania, the Nitro (laughs) Bar and Grill, baby. That's great. And Bischoff does what he he makes the meal. Then he comes down, he sits down, he puts his feet on your table and talks about how great a cookie is. (laughs) (laughs) I want Kitchen Nightmares at the Nitro Grill, Joe. Oh my
1: God, can you imagine? (laughs) Gordon Ramsay and Eric Bischoff fighting head to head.
0: Yeah, and, you know, sparks would fly definitely, you know. What is wrong with you, Bischoff? Uh, NASCAR, we had NWO cars. That's we, really clever. Yeah, he was he was obsessed with setting up NWO as a separate brand. Mm. NW episode is, is is another thing entirely, but Bischoff, the angle with the NWO, the, one of the reasons why he liked it so much is that you know WCW represented old southern traditional wrestling as epitomized, say, by Ric Flair or you know, you know, the, these kind of the horsemen, the, the old timing stuff. And Bischoff, on the other hand, he had the NWO. Which was meant to be an independent wrestling organization within WCW. And they were counterculture, leather jackets, black and white vignettes. You remember the stuff we watched with Hall and Nash, all the kind of mystery science thing? It was the idea that I think Bischoff really wanted to have this thing that was kind of poking fun at the wrestling company that he was meant to be running. And I think one of Bischoff's greatest regrets is that the NWO didn't spin off and to be its own thing. He wanted there to be NWO pay-per-views. Wow. He wanted it to be its own. NWO Nitro will be a thing that runs. You have WCW Nitro over there for the old wrestling fans. You want to tune to NWO Nitro where it'll be fun and wild and weird.
1: It sounds like he was really close to coming up with an idea that I have had independently. Oh, yes.
0: Please tell the fans about this idea. This is, this is great, folks. No one steal the game-changing idea that Joe has here for a <laughs> wrestling organization.
1: So I thought... The other day, I was thinking, you know, what would be a really cool idea for a wrestling company would be to have an entirely heel wrestling promotion, (laughs) where all the wrestlers are heels, the commentators are heels, the referees are heels.
0: Heel GM. Heel
1: GM, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The audience is a heel. Real
0: sarcastic ring announcer. Yeah, like like, everyone
1: is a heel. And I think that would have worked really well for the NWO.
0: Just to see like the kind of the comedy, because there's been a few times where they've had like heel versus heel matches where... The joke of it has been the two heels have tried to do their dirty tricks on each other. And it's kind of like a, a war of attrition. I think having a whole show like
1: that. And no be, one trusts anyone else. It's so funny. Like, <laughs> I,
0: I love that as an idea. And like, you know, obviously you're saying that as like as a parody. The fact that Bischoff was so close to doing that as a real thing. <laughs> and not just anytime, during the height. You know, Nitro, you know, they talked in this. Nitro was running stadiums. They had five or six weeks where they had fifty 000 to sixty thousand people showing up for the TV show. It's
1: amazing.
0: You know Bischoff's the guy as well, folks. Who you know he's making all this stuff, but he's the guy who thought, saw they WWE do four pay per views a year. I'll do seven. And they was like, what? Seven? That's crazy. That's too much wrestling. And then he thought, well, fuck it. Seven's going so well, and they're doing seven now. I'll do twelve. And that's how wrestling changed forever. (laughs) Thanks, Eric. Eric Bischoff also was the first person to decide, you know what? Nitro's good. Why don't we do another show as well? Why don't we also do Thunder? Let's have a second show. And thus, SmackDown was also born because WWF had to compete.
1: Wow. I didn't realize that's why SmackDown existed. SmackDown initially
0: existed because... Bischoff thought the best way to make Nitro more competitive was to have more of it. And then after that, we had a three-hour Nitro. Oh, my God. Because he thought if we had an hour lead into WWE, well, they're already going to be with us. They're not going to switch over then. And all they did was make people watch that for an hour then switch over and watch WWE for two hours. But it's a real, like some really bad, like he was the first person who found out that you cannot solve your problems of engagement by just throwing loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and loads, and loads more content. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is a lesson that WWE seems to not really want to learn these days.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) He was also quite obsessed with celebrities, Joe.
1: Yes. He obviously was influenced by Vince's idea of having celebrity involvement in WrestleMania, but he seemed to take it one step further by having celebrities actually involved in wrestling matches themselves. And the one we watched was Jay Leno,
0: uh, <laughs> you still double check the notes there that, that yeah, is was, true right
1: Jay Le- yep Jay Leno there Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan versus DDP and Jay Leno
0: now in terms of the match list for this one folks I was umming and on about this because Bischoff lands somewhere between Vince McMahon and Paul Heyman in our holy trinity of wrestling promoters that we've covered in terms of in-ring competition. Heyman was 100% not an in-ring competitor but he had a few comedy matches all of which are absolutely awful abominations. Vince McMahon can't wrestle for shit but put himself in such emotional, personal matches that had a kind of a real weird vibe to them that we kind of had to watch some of them. Bischoff's in between. Bischoff's had quite a few matches, most of which are very often comedy things where Bischoff's just getting his comeuppance in WWE. But in WCW, he did put himself in the main event. Mo- the
1: main event! The main event
0: quite a few times. And I was thinking, will I watch a bunch of these kind of matches with him? And I thought, no, look, we're going to watch one of Bischoff's matches. Once you've seen one, you've seen them all. But we're going to go in-depth on a couple of Bischoff's segments in WWE instead. Because I think those segments... You know, if I'm watching those matches, it's because I want to show you Bischoff as a performer. And I feel if I just watched three Bischoff matches, you'd come away thinking that he wasn't much of a performer. Whereas I feel that he is one of the strongest performers, actually, in terms of a character that we've had on this show. So this is our our sole match. We will be going in depth on some segments though in a bit. So this is from Road Wild '98, as Joe has told us. It is Hogan and Bischoff versus DDP and Jay Leno. And Joe, Road Wild 1998. This is not your typical day at the wrestling. No. What the fuck is a Road Wild?
1: So, I hate the name, first of all. (laughs) Why not call it Wild Road, which sounds good. Road Wild? He's gone Road Wild. So Road Wild is a pay-per-view filmed at like a biker rally. The Sturgis Biker Rally, which is,
0: I believe at the time, I'm not sure if it still is, I'm not up to date on my hog news, guys, but uh, I it was at the time the largest motorbike rally in the United States. Not
1: much of a hog head.
0: I'm not, I'm not much of a hog head, unfortunately, no, unfortunately not.
1: But Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan both are. Oh yeah, and- they're chopper freaks. <laughs> chopper freaks. And so these hog heads decided to host a show... At Sturgis, just as an excuse, basically, for them to play around with their hogs.
0: Yes, because a big part of Road Wild, which was a pay-per-view that had free admission. Really? Free admission. Because how else are you going to get a bunch of bikers to go and watch a wrestling show that they probably don't? I mean, bikers, I don't know if they were the core demographic, really, at the time, necessarily. But (laughs) Bischoff-like bikes... Hogan liked bikes, Hogan's friends liked bikes, and a big part of Sturgis, every year, at a massive loss to the company, they would go down to Sturgis, they put on this free fucking show, it was on pay-per-view, yes, but the attendance was free, and all the bikers would be there revving up their bikes, causing big gas clouds, and the biggest part of this night, the reason why it was so important, is that Hogan, Bischoff, and all of the chopper heads, they would all ride down, As a, all the polecats, they all ride down on their On their big motorcade of... They do a big drive across America on their motorcycles. Cool. And, you know, they just stand on the open road. Now, I don't know if anyone can replace something worse than this, but Hulk Hogan on a long road journey where you're on a motorbike... Sounds like the worst thing in the world. My only question for you, Joe, is: Do you think that Bischoff was riding his own hog, or he had a little sidecar for Hulk (laughs) Hogan, (laughs) picking the bugs out of his Fu Manchu as they're driving (laughs) past? Like, looking good, champ. Bischoff's relationship with Hogan what What do you make of it?
1: I no idea. It's. uh, I feel like Hulk Hogan kept him around as like this little. Yeah, it just reminds you of school again. Like, mm. Hogan seems like the big bully mm. who, you know, is very popular with everyone.
0: And you'll always have Jimmy Hart there. Yeah. And Brutus Beefcake, or, yeah. or The Disciple, I should say.
1: His his cronies. Yeah. And it seems like he keeps Eric Bischoff around as, like, I don't know, like, almost like the, the silly kid that kind of is the butt of all the jokes but also probably has a lot of dad's money. That's
0: it. Like, I think Bischoff had power and Hogan, I think. I think Hogan knew that he could control Bischoff to an extent I would yeah. say I think you know, Bischoff is certainly his own man but I think Hogan knew that he was the, the, the crown jewel so to speak because he was the first guy who Bischoff went to and you can imagine those early meetings Bischoff was like Look, we're going to build a whole company around you which is really what they did mm-hmm. you know I think he was he was Bischoff's star player he was the absolute be all and end all as far as he was concerned and I think that is that is stretched long after their WCW connection into TNA and other business that they did together because they have been in business together it's worth saying I asked a lot of folks about the eighty-three weeks podcast because I've not listened to much of it other than a few snippets here and there. And I got like around I'd say a dozen people giving me kind of lengthy essays about how Bischoff comes across and one of the main things that people have said that he does kind of do, if there are times if there are times where he admits kind of to wrongdoing or decisions that he regrets, a lot of the times is that he does admit that he let Hogan get away with too much shit.
1: You not know, saying something,
0: which is saying something, you know. Nothing to say that Hogan is a particularly difficult target these days, mm. but yeah, that that much is is evident. So here they are, the tag team taking on DDP and Jay Leno. Uh, this course was set up when Eric Bischoff, with his synergistic ways, decided to invade the late night talk show of Jay Leno. Him and Hogan showed up. They they roughed up Jay Leno. They took over the Tonight Show. Which in terms of cross-promotion and all that, I mean, WWE could only have dreamt of having that level of exposure. I
1: know, right? It's (laughs) so funny to think that like, WWE has so much star power and influence. Like, they're mm. a billion-dollar company couldn't now. Couldn't get in the door then. And, like, but they, even today, they wouldn't mm. be able to do, like, a crossover like that.
0: No, this is... Like, in terms of star power, and we, we mentioned just casually Rodman and Malone there. You're talking about two of the star players of two of the biggest basketball feud of the 90s at the time in the playoffs. And, like, the next month, they get them for a pay-per-view to wrestle each other. It's dog shit for us to watch. But if you were a wrestling fan who had a passing interest. If you'd seen fucking Space Jam or whatever, like, I mm. had a passing interest in, in basketball. That's huge. It's so huge. And it's
1: particularly clever because of the reason he did it, which was that he wanted, like, mainstream sports publications and, like, mainstream... New segments to cover wrestling more often, yeah. and he realized the only way they were going to talk about wrestling was if he included mainstream celebrities, like make it a talking point, and it worked. I mean,
0: it didn't work with David Arquette, for instance. We talked about that in our Vince Russo episode. I mean how that was an idea along the same lines. Like, well, yeah, we'll get movies talking about wrestling. Bischoff got you know sports talk about wrestling, and he got entertainment talk about wrestling. We did this Jay Leno thing. You know, Bischoff gets to rough up Jay Leno, put his feet up on the desk, and you know, he even like ran his own version of the Tonight Show. He had A nightcap with Eric Bischoff, you know, he do the fake, you know, talk show thing, and it was it was really really great. Like that, they managed to pull that off. I mean, you know, the same year Vince McMahon showed up on Conan O'Brien, and all he did was make really bad taste jokes about Ted Turner's depression. So that's yeah, and that you
1: know that's a really valid point because Eric Bischoff is a is a very charismatic man mm. like he genuinely is very convincing very persuasive he's you know quite charming he's a very good public speaker mm. whereas Vince is a bit weird what like i
0: think one on one host and person i think no one can come across as badly as Vince McMahon. Yeah. Like in that environment. You've got Vince with Bob Costas, as though we talked about that. You're shut your goddamn mouth. You're slapping papers out of people's yeah. hands. You know, anytime Vince is one on one with another interviewer, he comes across as a fucking monster. Yeah. You put Bischoff there, one person, he, he's charming. Yeah. You know, he, he, it's annoying how charming mm. he is. You know, the amount of times where I sat down to watch an interview with Bischoff, I'm like, yeah, come on, get him, get him. And I go, oh, I didn't think that from that point. Of view. <laughs> you know, like, Bischoff, he's a slippery monster motherfucker he is
1: yeah so yeah
0: we've talked really at great length now about why this was a good idea and now let's get into the match itself aka why this is a bad idea there was something very grim about when eric bischoff and hulk hogan came out Who was in their entourage?
1: Oh, don't remind me.
0: That's what you hear for this entire match, by the way, until the bikers get bored and they start, and or they run out of gas. Like (laughs) there is a heavy smog above this arena, folks.
1: So first of all, I feel I should mention that Eric is introduced as noted martial arts expert Eric Bischoff.
0: Earning those eight hundred thousand dollars, there, Mister Buffer. Very good job.
1: Everyone comes out wearing like denim and like leather jackets but there's one person in particular who Mm. i i said that who is she she seems really familiar that face is very i can't think for the life of me who it is and she was wearing denim chaps and a a leather jacket with all these tassels tassels. and then kevin told me and it was it was Miss Elizabeth.
0: Miss Elizabeth in her biker lady gear and Jesus Christ. It's not Miss Elizabeth coming out with fucking Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff and Brutus Beefcake.
1: In the NWO! It
0: was just
1: like, dark-sided. I can't think of a single person in wrestling who is more babyface than Miss Elizabeth.
0: It's funny because like, I remember the Ray Mysterio episode. I was thinking to myself the whole time, like, I think Ray is the ultimate, like, no, like him as a heel, just is a. Bleh, it just tastes wrong in my mouth. Mm. And you found the answer. No, it is Miss Elizabeth. Yeah. she she is the absolute, undisputedly, she is that person. Yeah, it's like
1: so strange.
0: I don't know why you'd want to have Elizabeth associated with Hulk Hogan as a bad guy when all she's doing is just like hi she's smiling but she's doing the
1: same thing she always does
0: oh boy
1: so strange and eric bischoff comes out wearing an nwo t-shirt tucked into an elasticated sweatpants waistline it's uh not a good look wasn't i
0: wearing that when we painted our upstairs room yes. like, that's the exact clothes i want
1: <laughs> people around the house
0: slightly too big wrestling t-shirt and elasticated <laughs> trousers with poppers on the side what's the big deal <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually, it was really funny because, you know, Bischoff, in a lot of his other matches, he wore the the gi, which is such a better look <laughs> like, than this. Is like, you know, Sunday afternoon Bischoff, like, you know, kind of mosey down to the shops, like, yeah. go to Ikea the following day. We're then introduced to the Tonight Show team! Jay Leno, who looks bored, Diamond Dallas Page, and Kevin Eubanks, who is the band leader, and he's got a set of arms on him like a fucking brick shithouse.
1: Right, okay.
0: The introductions for this team... Were slightly ridiculous Ladies and gentlemen Introducing at this time The king of late Nights, A man who has trained hard And is ready Jay Leno You'll be heard it here tonight folks At the start of the hour He's trained hard He is ready Well I fucking <laughs> hope so He's in the main event Jay Leno's gear is probably more pro looking than Bischoff's Oh yeah, that, definitely. That's saying something At least he's colour coordinated. Yeah. <laughs> Now, the crowd is very lethargic, and I believe this was due to the fumes. There's a a level of carbon monoxide, which is the silent killer in this uh, arena here tonight. I know it's open air, but there is a cloud that just kind of hovers over Mm. the crowd. And Eric Bischoff, when he gets tagged in, we get introduced to the karate strikes, Joe. Oh,
1: he fights like a sibling that doesn't want to get their hands dirty. Like, eh. Eh,
0: what kicking is it, and like a sibling who realized, the far. is a sibling who's realised they're too old for this now and just, kind of
1: just, <laughs> just wants to
0: go through the motions a little yeah, bit yeah, protect the
1: face is
0: he the worst in-ring performer that we have seen on the podcast so far?
1: no, because Vince Russo was worse oh, of
0: course, I forgot about Vinnie Rue <laughs> jeez, I completely I didn't think, oh, there's uh, Vince, there's Heyman, there's no one else so he's better than Vinny. Oh, he's
1: definitely better than Vince Russo. Because
0: he didn't get concussed in any of these matches. Yeah. of interest. But, um... I think...
1: And, like, his kicks are pretty good. Yeah? Like, he cannot hit for shit, but his kicks are okay.
0: <laughs> I did, like, you know... The, the compare and contrast because Bischoff was in the ring more than you'd think in this one folks and he was in the ring with Jay Leno it was serious kid glows there yeah. and he was in the ring with DDP you know he's laying in the strikes a little bit heavier there's a certain trust once you've fucked another man's wife that he allow <laughs> you to be a little bit more snuck with them in the ring like <laughs> And I do like that they are trying to pull over both Leno and Bischoff in this match on commentary. We have got a very unwilling Bobby Heedon and Tony Schiavone saying things in regards to Leno like, this guy's impressive. He's played sports.
1: <laughs>
0: Holy shit. And like Eric Bischoff, Tony Schiavone is like, guys, I got to admit it. I'm really impressed by the performance of Eric Bischoff. It's really impressive. <laughs> you
1: know,
0: like if... if vince ever wrestled or if you know shane wrestled back in the day before he was kind of serious you know the announcers would always put over the ludicrousness yeah. of this non-wrestler being in the ring like he's in the ring jay leno with ddp and hulk hogan and they're making out that he's yeah no he's, he's this is all right this is fine he's carrying the match yeah he's
1: doing pretty well ring general over here what did you think to uh jay's performance oh, in it was the match? awful he throws the worst punches <laughs> well,
0: what makes it so bad his punch or eric bischoff's sell which is like a jenga tower being moved from one table to another and then being <laughs> dropped afterwards
1: i i feel that like eric tried to sell in the way that like you know vince kind of tries to sell you know it does it a bit too much and mm. not enough at the same time he tries time. to kind of
0: flip over but he can't quite make it all yeah. the way you know it's <laughs> like jay i don't know if you noticed in the match when he did any spot like when he put you know someone in the arm ringer or he he did the punches he did everything almost in slow motion or he stood still like Mm. in the ring and that was because all the assembled media were there to take pictures of him so most of the reason why lena was in the ring for as long as he was was so they could get enough pictures so they could then put it in your time magazine and stuff like that so he'd be in the ring there for ages going hogan come on hit me and hogan's like Oh, I'm going to hit you, brother. And he's like, come on then, hit me. Oh, I'm going to hit you, brother. You're bald. you got a big chin, brother. Come on, come on. He just stood there chatting yeah. like... We get the worst punch ever, followed up by Kevin Eubanks during the diamond cutter because neither DDP nor Jay Leno opted to do it in this match. <laughs> Leno and DDP win a longer than you'd expect it to be, Match.
1: Yeah, it's not good. It's not a good day at the
0: office when you got to watch Hulk Hogan wrestle and Jay Leno... Uh, I mean, sorry, we didn't really have much of a chance to, to, to bury old Jay Leno, but I will say, regarding you know, Monica Lewinsky and all that, Jay Leno, he's a... Bit of an old toxic public discourse there. Uh, you know, did you see on last Street Tonight when they did the kind of rundown of all the jokes that Jay Leno made about Monica Lewinsky back in the day? Yep. Yeah. If you want a little bit of a refresher, he was a fucking cold-blooded, folks. Let's just say. A piece of shit. So I was kind of hoping to see Jay Leno get beat up a little bit more because I'm Team Coco till I die. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, my only ask, my only questions for you are this: Firstly, you're star rating for this match? Oh
1: God, zero stars. Zero
0: stars. Yep. I.e. Bad, bad, no bad, value.
1: Bad match. Do not watch this match.
0: <laughs> Even if you're curious to see Jay Leno wrestle.
1: I mean, fine if you want to see Jay Leno wrestle watch this match i guess yeah. and you're not going to see any wrestling
0: now if we were to do this in modern obviously 2019 late night in america serves a much different purpose other than slut shaming like it did back in the late mm. 90s with uh, jay leno it's a much different uh, atmosphere now at late night so i was to ask you joe if you were to include a late night personality into the sport of professional wrestling who would you book and why
1: I feel like John Oliver would be a good pick. I feel he understands wrestling better than most. That's true. But that being said, I think my pick would actually be Stephen Colbert because he is a very physical comedian. That's true. He's very fit. And so I think he could like maybe keep up the, the pace of a wrestling match better than other late night talk show hosts. I
0: see, he's got the stamina. Like. He's got the stamina, yeah. It's interesting because we uh, Joe were talking about this the other day. Joe said he can do mime so he can wrestle.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> mime is wrestling.
0: <laughs> and we need that mime character more than that. Wait, no, there is mime characters. What am I talking about? Chikara's got us covered on that front. I was going to say, yeah, John Oliver, very, very good idea, but I want a stipulation match, like, you know, say if Hogan and Triple H win the match, you know, they get to go and have the main event at Crown Jewel. And on either side, you got John Oliver and Sami Zayn. And if, they, if the pinfall takes place in the middle of the ring and John Oliver and Sami Zayn win, they have to unionize. You know, them's <laughs> the rules. And Hogan and, and, and Triple H are like, no, no. <laughs> and Prince Salman is like, ah. <laughs> So, yeah, just thought we'd uh, spend a little moment there, going through a little bit of uh, Eric. I mean, this was Eric at his peak. This is 1998, they're winning the wrestling war, 83 weeks in a row, you know, things are going his way. But the thing about Bischoff is that he did, as we say, get seduced by his own success. There are a lot of stories, a lot of rumours about Bischoff, many of which that he completely denies, about some kind of weird shit that he was doing. He was becoming quite obsessed with the idea of beating Vince McMahon. And not just beating him, bankrupting him. Do
1: you reckon this all leads back to his failed interview where he had to sell the broom and humiliated know, himself right? in front of a payback? And I'll have my
0: own company and Vince will have to audition. I'll make
1: him sell the broom.
0: <laughs> and you know what? I bet he'll do the best goddamn... Vince McMahon could sell a broom Oh yeah. Tell you. So... Yeah, I mean, there were these meetings that he would call. It's like I, all the talent are being brought in. And, you know, WCW is the type of place where they had like 100 wrestlers on the roster. They'd use like 30 of them at a time. Wow. We mentioned the Randy Savage episode. His brother got a six-figure contract for three years. He never showed up. You know, <laughs> Sandman became a millionaire because of Eric Bischoff's hiring practices. There was big money going around. Yeah. He calls this big team meeting with 100 people. And he's like literally, hey guys, um, I'm going to put Vince McMahon out of business. I'm going to gonna put the WWF into bankruptcy. We're going to destroy them. So we're not just going to beat them in ratings, but we're actually going to destroy them. You know, he had a lot of real personal issues with big names like Ric Flair, for instance. Yeah, Ric Flair, who he had essentially banned from appearing on WCW and was suing him because he said that he was breaching his contract, calls a team meeting, says, hey, everyone, just want you to know, that Rick Fair never drew a dime in this business. The only people who've ever made any money in this room are uh, Hulk Hogan and maybe Roddy Piper and maybe Macho Man. But uh, yeah, Rick Fair's has never drawn a dime in this business, and I'm going to make him homeless, and his children are going to have to live on the streets because I'm going to destroy him. All right, have a good show, everyone. Bye. What the
1: fuck? Like big yikes!
0: Big yikes! Eddie Guerrero alleged in his time that uh, Bischoff threw hot coffee on him once. Backstage. Really, Bischoff now this is interesting because Bischoff like I've watched videos of him defending himself against a lot of these charges most of which he denies and like in, even in times where he's not they've not brought up the coffee like, just on the other side as well Eddie Grau said I, threw, I didn't throw coffee on him That is complete fabrication that did not happen but like you know there was an element of the inmates running the asylum a little bit you'd have people who come out and cut promos about how bullshit everything was Right. Eddie Grau came out with a cup of coffee and threw it on himself Go, I threw coffee on myself this time I've saved you the bother Eric I'm, all, I'm out of here There was some really weird shit. I was finding it very hard to explain to you. We watched the segment where Ric Flair is brought back to the company after Bischoff tries to sue him. And he's literally like tears in his eyes. Like, you're a son of a bitch. You're a piece of shit. You're a scam. You're a liar. And Bischoff's like, you're history. I'm going to get rid of you. You're fired. And like, that was kind of real life. But then they were also doing a match that Sunday.
1: So strange.
0: Like, we talked about Vince stirring the pot yeah. between Sean and Brad and making people fight. I think Bischoff did that with himself without yeah. realising it. He got himself worked into a shoot, brother. Yeah. <laughs> or a shooting in a work, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, he lies a lot and he tells a lot of mistruths or he has a certain verbal gymnastics that can kind of make him seem like he was never really you know, in the wrong. And I mean, you know, the, the, in the downturn that they had inevitably, you he mentioned, you know, after he was sitting on his motorbike saying he's the king, they lost the ratings war. They were back and forth, but after the bit with McFoley where they told people to go and switch over, they never won the ratings war again. Nitro. Really? Like that was it. They were done. You know, and they were in a downward spiral at this point. He had no forward planning. We we've covered the one person, the one young upstart in WCW who was made in WCW. That's Goldberg. Mm. No one else. Wow. You know, and we think WWE's got a problem with building young talents. At least they've got a show for them. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. In NXT. But he's asked about this in the documentary, and this is in 2016. He's like, "Yo, you you fucked up pretty bad here. Would you have done things differently?" And he went,
1: "No, <laughs> I did everything perfectly. I'm right always." I wouldn't change much,
0: and I really felt at the time I had no reason to build anyone. I had no reason to look and say, "Let's elevate this guy," because I thought my bench was full of stars. And they were, but all those stars were in their late 40s. Yeah, he's
1: so fucking. This is, I think it just maybe shows as well that, like, he, he didn't understand the industry as well as he thought he did. Like, I, I think mean, a lot of people who've worked in wrestling for a while would have known when he reached around the age of 40, you have to sort of wind down. Yeah,
0: he would have surely. Because Hogan, I remember he spent most of '99 and late '98, he had a knee problem, you know? Which, yeah, of course he did. He's fucking yeah. Hogan. Like, he's old, <laughs> you know? Even in the 90s, he was old. And I think he was very, very much exposed as like, yeah, he knew enough to change things, but he didn't know, I think he knew enough to know how to kind of keep things up on that high level. He took something that was, you know, losing double digits and it was a double digit million dollar a year company. And he turned it into a triple digit million dollar a year company that was making double digits of profit. You know, so he was successful in that regard. He expanded massively very, very quickly. But I mean... You look at something that he claims that he had a beautiful arc for, the NWO. I tried to explain to Joe the, the arc of the NWO. There was three members at the start. At one point, there were 37 members. Bleah. There was the NWO. There's NWO Hollywood, NWO Elite, NWO Wolfpack. There was NWO the Latino World Order. There was the NWO 2000. And here's the best thing about it as well. He didn't even come up with that idea.
1: Yeah, I heard he stole it from Japan. Well...
0: He had a mate, Sonny Ono, who had a connection in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And New Japan Pro Wrestling did an invasion angle almost identically to the NWO, where it was a group of renegade wrestlers that were sleeper agents within the company who had been sent in, it felt like, to destroy it from within. And they acted as a separate entity. Right. So yeah, it was the UWFI in New Japan Pro Wrestling. It happened in the early 90s. And (laughs) as has become a recurring trend on this podcast... If it's something that seems innovative in the world of wrestling, it was originally ripped off from Japan. Yeah. Uh, of course, the little-known Japanese podcast of how-to wrestling that we ripped off shamelessly—that no one knows about. <laughs> yes. Hopefully, no one will figure that out. Uh, you know, we made it work over here, brother. It's ours now. So, yeah. Uh, That—that is a bit of a recurring thing in wrestling, and they were not open about that at all. And Bishop has been a bit slippery about that fact. I think.
1: I feel as well. It's like. You know, this does happen a lot in wrestling, but I feel like unlike where Vince has taken stuff from Japan without maybe meaning to, because he's just, he doesn't really watch wrestling. Yeah, he's filtered stuff from his guys. Yeah, he's just been told stuff by other people who do watch wrestling. But like, Eric Bischoff... I'm pretty sure would have known this himself and Mm. probably would have directly been responsible for stealing any ideas from Japan.
0: Because why would anyone find out about a New Japan show all the way over there? Like, no one's gonna watch Japanese wrestling, yet alone old Japanese wrestling. Like So yeah, I mean, I think he thought he was pretty safe there, but Bischoff has, this is a big criticism about him. He has one idea. Mm. And the idea is, the evil invading force that comes in to take over the company from within and no more so is that evident from the during his brief run in tna when him and hogan showed up there in the the 2010 or thereabouts One of the you know he was only an executive producer he didn't say he had direct control over storylines but he was suggesting and pitching stuff the big storylines that happened in tna under his tenure there was immortal which was the sleeper group of evil baddie wrestlers that were secretly led under hulk hogan who were secretly trying to destroy tna from within right and after immortal ran its course there was the aces and eights which was an evil sleeper cell organization from within TNA, which decided to destroy it from within. Uh, you kind of see the recurring yeah. thing here. You change the gossip of pains. You change what it's meant to be. Hogan got an immortal tattoo on the back of his Oh uh,
1: my God.
0: Cool. Maybe one day we'll review the immortal DVD. That'll be fun. Like, you know, so <laughs> yeah. Bischoff had one of the best ideas in the history of wrestling. That wasn't really his idea but he gave it amazing branding. The black and white, all oh, that. Yes. You Very know. good branding. We talked a lot about that in the Scott Hall episode. Mm. That kind of... Vibe that look very cool. Even now in 2019, you know a lot of this stuff has been overdone. Don't think anyone's gotten the kind of the visual. This thing looks different and like its own special thing. You I mean, know? the
1: shield kind of did that, didn't they, yeah. when they first debuted
0: the handheld camera? Yeah, something that Joe and I have been enjoying on Raw recently, but that has disappeared in November 2019. It was the authors of pain with their sit-down interviews, yeah. you know, in the black room. It looked different, you know. Mm. I think that's something the word Wrestling should maybe take a bit more from. But yeah. Vishafi says he wouldn't have changed much, and then we cut to loads of people talking about the utter chaos. They would be going live on TV, there was no format sheet, they wouldn't know what they were doing, they changed their minds, you know, Scott Steiners walk around with a fucking tiger doing whatever he wants. You know, Jesus. it was absolutely mad. And then comes the thing where they said Red WCW was fucked because There was a corporate structure in place that meant that WCW could never be successful. And I don't know what your thoughts were about this. That Bishop had this theory that there were executives within Turner who kind of wanted to sabotage the company Mm. and like see it fail from within.
1: I'm not sure it's going to be a case of people sabotaging the company. I mean, we had a bit of a chat about this when we were watching the documentary. And that WCW by this point was losing what...
0: He made something that was very unprofitable to be incredibly profitable, and then it became incredibly unprofitable. Yeah. like Not to say he wiped out the good that he did, but it, it was hemorrhaging. He kind of did, though. He <laughs> was hemorrhaging money. Because like, once the company was bigger, all it had then was... More a, loss. More loss, a bigger place to... Surprisingly, the Nitro Baron Grill didn't last to get its Michelin star. Like you know, <laughs> <laughs> Gordon was busy with a bed and breakfast in Dorchester. He did not around to save it in time and give them their wireless devices. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I would have thought, you know... Green's green. Like, you know, they talked to Harvey Schiller and all the presidents and the executives and they were like, yeah, they go around the table and we'd say WCW's made like a hundred million dollars and they'd roll their eyes and stuff like that. And I would say there was one thing that was unfair, which was because of the corporate structure, all the pay-per-view revenue that WCW made from its big shows that went to Turner home entertainment as opposed to the WCW company. But I do feel that's not fair to kind of say that's a big criticism and shows that they are conspiring to defeat you. When at the end of the day, the only reason WCW could have existed was because Turner home video were the ones who were making Hogan's contract possible. So I think they picked a few choice moments to say the corporate structure with the ad sales made it impossible for WCW. But that same corporate structure is the only reason like, why was nitro able to get the edge on wwe because they own the network yeah they could say go two minutes early and two minutes late vince had to ask usa could you please let us do this you yeah know? they you know they had all these advantages because of this corporate structure to say that, that corporate structure was the reason that they they were unsuccessful no you know bischoff's ability to navigate that wild west that jungle of a fucking corporate structure and make it pay for itself and whatnot yeah that's admirable But it didn't destroy it. It helped it. And then comes a merger. Which is Turner merging with AOL Time Warner. And everyone says it's not Vince Russo. It's not Eric Bischoff. What ultimately killed WCW was this merger. Because Ted Turner was the main guy. Was holding back the negativity of his board. Not wanting there to be wrestling anymore. And all of a sudden Ted Turner. He's not as important. Because they've merged with a much bigger media conglomerate. That itself is composed of already several merged companies. So WCW was... No longer really that interesting for them. You know, they spent 99 and 2000 having constant problems with them saying they had to have standards and practices. So you've got bra and panties matches and all this stuff happening over in WWE and they're told in WCW you can't say hell or damn or... You know, they they felt they were being censored and stuff like right. that. And again, there was more problems that were at foot there. Bishop actually got fired in 1989. He was told, go home.
1: And the shocking thing about that was in the documentary he makes it very clear that like this came out of the blue for yeah. him. He was totally surprised that this was coming for him. That He was fired. Which to me... Says a lot more about how smart he actually is. Like he's not as smart as he thinks he is. If mm. he didn't see this firing coming, he obviously made a lot of money for the company. But then you're losing more than you were earning. Yeah, you're go- you're going to be fired. Like how how do you not realize that?
0: Like at the point where he was fired, I think it was literally like they knew that he had made this monster. And I think if they didn't try and wrangle it and get control of it, it was going to become like a fucking an absolute catastrophic you know yeah. money leak for them or whatever. So. You know I don't agree with the ethos behind it but you have to accept with a corporate structure that's that's the difference between Vince McMahon and a lot of the competition you know that's why a lot of the people who've tried to compete against Vince like TNA have struggled because Mm -hmm. they've got boards and corporate structures to deal with and it doesn't really necessarily work in the wrestling's favor but yeah how how could you not know. Yeah. How could you not know? How, like, all the fucking shit that was happening, you know, all the madness, all the the craziness, all the people who you were paying who weren't on TV, yeah. the millions that were being thrown away, like, the personal problems of some of your performers, like Scott Hall, like, yeah. how could you think? They would say, you know, when Heyman was, you know, towards the end of his run in 2001 in ECW, you could tell physically that, you know, he wasn't there anymore and he just didn't realise it. I think when you get so tunnel vision, mm. laser focused on something, I think... Yet have to have a bit of a tap on the shoulder. Yeah. You know, and say like, you need to fucking stop black, like, you know, says Kevin, who was watching The Mask with a migraine last week and <laughs> had to be told to stop black, like, you know. <laughs> so he comes back briefly into the year 2000 with white hair and Billy Keeble's working theory with this is because it was revealed that he murdered his daughter, Laura Palmer at this point. Bishop off of the white hair. What do you think?
1: I like it. It really suits him.
0: Yeah. With I, the dark
1: I, eyebrows. It's, it works well.
0: It's a very, very good look. Mm. I did like that he died it back when he went back to WWE. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> he was like, he wanted people to remember him as the classic Eric Bischoff character. But yeah, as we talked about, you want to hear about the real bad times in the year 2000 of WCW? There's a Vince Russo episode for that, folks. Plenty of information there. Needless to say, it didn't go well. People got sued. Hulk Hogan left the company. Bash at the beach bad times and bischoff was gone from the company until the second to last episode of nitro before the company was gone out of business bischoff rings in and he's like guys just want to let you to know everything's going to be okay because me and fusion media ventures we're looking at wcw we're going to buy the property it's going to be a new wcw it's going to be fresh it's going to be innovative we've got all this great money and talent behind us it's going to be amazing And then they find out that they can't get TV as part of the deal. So they back out and Bischoff is no longer able to buy WCW. And Vince buys it for two million or thereabouts. Bischoff claims it was worth 20 bucks without TV time.
1: Wow.
0: Were you surprised that Bischoff would have actually taken the step to try and own the company? As opposed to just being an executive or a a guy doing a job? No, I'm not
1: surprised. You think he
0: really thought that he could have saved it or made it better or something? Yeah, I think
1: he, he thinks that. Is he
0: really deluded or i mean like because i mean (laughs) i don't know when's a good time to bring it up but one of the first things that joe said to me when we were doing this episode you were like he's got a ted talk joe was obsessed with this because the title of this ted talk was so interesting and i said to joe you know he's a you know he's a you know like Heyman, he changed the game you know he beat vince you know he's a he's a very very kind of flashy figure you know he had some big ideas he changed wrestling and the title of the ted talk was something really like what was it it was
1: how the news media playbook is stealing from professional wrestling, oh, which no. is like yes, that's a great subject They absolutely are. I mean, we talked in our double Donald Trump episode yep. about how wrestling has influenced like sort of mainstream culture. And and politics, really. And politics, absolutely, yeah.
0: We'll say from the outset, spoilers if you want to watch Eric Bischoff's excruciatingly bad TED Talk.
1: Oh, it's so bad. But I might just
0: think that we did a lot better fucking job than he did about talking about it. Oh
1: no, it was awful. And I was really excited for it as well. Because I love love TED Talks. I watched Titus O'Neill's TED Talk. Mm. It was amazing. It was was so good. What was Titus' one about? It was about how he grew up, basically, with a single mother who was... um, I don't know if you know about his the situation with his wife. I know, very, very hard. She was raped ringing. when she was about uh, eight years old, I yeah. think. And she raised her kids up from like a very young age uh, oh, on her own. And he talked about growing up like that and living in poverty and how he he became a successful businessman from oh, that background.
0: It, it wasn't the title of why you should never, ever, ever try and shake your boss's hand. That was a different <laughs> title. That was a no. TEDx, I think. He yeah, did. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: But this one by Bischoff was fucking awful. He starts off, he comes in and he tries to be like, Classic heel Bischoff.
0: Yeah, and this is really bad because we watched this before we watched any of heel Bischoff stuff, and it was like he comes out like with this whole kind of "watch the master at work, folks," and we proceed to get some of the worst heel work ever. And I was like, Eric, Joe's meant to be impressed by you, no, <laughs> not like this.
1: He tries to display an example of cheap heat, and it goes horribly wrong. The crowd are not into it. It's a TED Talk, for fuck's sake.
0: Yeah, it flashbacks to a lot of student comedy gigs I hosted yeah. in Lincoln. My God, it was someone just coming and going, what well, would be really great if I really riled up the crowd, and this half hates me, and this half thinks I, they, they know what I'm doing, they kind of... He tries to do like a really high concept, Stuart Lee, I'm going to spit the audience. Yeah. Instead, he just goes out, and he makes the entire audience go who is this man and why is he making fun of our town? <laughs>
1: and then he proceeds to give a really long-winded non-explanation of his point, which is that news media has stolen the concept from wrestling, which is it should make you feel things, not think things, mm. which is a very, you know, he he knows what he's talking about. That is, true. That is wrestling. That is absolutely wrestling, wrestling. And that is modern news. And
0: that is like what Bischoff said. His whole ethos was with WCW. He wanted to make you th- not to make you think about it being real or not he just wanted to make you feel like this could be real because mm. there's you know what's happening here is so out of control and so unpredictable this this will just give me the the actual instinctual reaction that mm. it is real and it's using emotion instead yeah. of the brain it's very very important he
1: he posits that once you start thinking about things, you're not feeling anymore, which yeah, I totally, yeah, I can agree with that. And I understand where he's coming from. But the way he explained it is really bad and long-winded. He does a very bad job of explaining his point. It's just awful. <laughs> it reminded
0: me so much. I feel really mean to say this because like, you know, having been a teacher for, for a few years, I can tell you it's one of the most stressful, hard jobs in the world. And if you're involved in the world of teaching, absolute solidarity. It's a fucking tough old job. And one of my first ever things I did in teaching was I went to do an observation. You you watch other teachers do a lesson. And, you know, if you're being observed when you're teaching, it's it's a scary thing because you think oh, straight away you're under a magnifying glass. And if a student comes in to observe you, you kind of feel like you have to give them a little bit of a show or show them kind of like, right, this is the next generation or whatever. So I was like, look, I'm just here to, to watch. I'm just here for the day. Like, please, I, just show me what you do. That's it. All is. And he was like, oh, well, I didn't have anything actually planned for my lesson today. And he goes... But I'm gonna do some jazz teaching, and he literally goes, "Watch this!" And he go walks up to the board, and he's got like twelve-year-old kids who are learning about like digestion, which is the easiest way to make kids excited in the world. And he spends an hour with a marker at a board trying to think up a fun little games that he can do. And every one of them, the kids are like, "Wait, what?" And he tries to do Hangman, but he puts out too many spaces. Like everything go, everything is misjudged. Oh. And it, I felt like that when I was watching this TED talk, like. I empathize with you. I know what you're trying to do. I know what you should be doing right now. But my God, the audience does not get this. And you seem really, really like you don't know what you're fucking doing. Like, uh, after that, it kind of felt like Ted would be like, never get a wrestling person in here
1: ever again. <laughs> ever.
0: Like, Bischoff was like, I've got three slides. i got a picture of Verne Gagne. i got a picture of Abraham Lincoln. You know, I've got this. <laughs> I've got this. I got this i do not need to prepare anything.
1: And he ends the, the Ted talk on saying that, like, that Trump uses the whole feel, not think. And then, so maybe it's not so bad. Which yeah. is like such a confused mixed message to end on. And
0: he's like, he's in the Hall of Fame for WWE. And he was like, what? But he's not a wrestler. What? But Abraham Lincoln was once a wrestler. So what? Huh?
1: What? And that's my TED Talk. Thanks so much for coming. Oh
0: my God. <laughs> that is the worst use of the phrase. And that's my TED Talk I've ever heard in my life.
1: On that subject though, because I've been thinking about this. Mm-hmm. If you could pick anyone from professional wrestling, alive or dead, to give a TED talk, who would you choose? Oh my
0: fucking God in heaven. That is a beautiful question. I'd love Bobby Heenan. I was
1: thinking Bobby Heenan. How
0: to annoy people, how to to lose friends and alienate people.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think William Regal would be very interesting. I think Vince McMahon. Would be fascinating. I don't
0: think, no, because I, I don't think Vince could actually. You
1: think he would do it?
0: I don't think Vince would be comfortable enough to actually do it. Mm. You know, he's too, too much of a. Like, even Stephanie, I think I wouldn't want her to do because she'd do it too corporate. Like, you yeah. know. You want to think about people who've got, like, who've got a real heart for it and a real ability to connect with people. Right, so Shane. Shane, yeah, maybe. I mean, Heyman, I'd really be interested. Heyman hearing, would be amazing, you yeah. Know? I'd love to hear Becky Lynch you know Becky Lynch is like literally like someone who's just completely like she's grabbed the zeitgeist by the horns mm. at the moment I'd love to you know how, how to make a name for yourself by Becky Lynch that I would be fascinated by but honestly if you would ask me this question before all of this Eric Bischoff yeah. would have been in my top three <laughs> and now he is not you know so it's Tyus O'Neill, Bobby Heenan, Becky Lynch are the the, the golden trio as far as I'm concerned So Bischoff left wrestling altogether after that. There was a call for Bischoff... I think in like 2001... When they bought WCW... They were like... Do you want to come in? And he's like... Nah, I'm a bit burnt out thanks... I'm going to go do some other things. Now Bischoff... Didn't really talk about it in much of his doc, but, you know, he's very, very active in the world of TV production. He started Bischoff Hervey Entertainment with the baddie older brother from The Wonder Years. And the two of them have produced many, many shows. Their production company were involved with with TNA when he worked there for TNA. And we're not going to talk too much about his TNA run, but in terms of the production that he did, you know, they came up with the idea in TNA, which is a great thing when during his run there, that, hey, when you're backstage, the camera shouldn't just be there we should actually find out why the camera is there. So you'd have Bischoff in his office, but you'd see the camera like pull up in the door a little bit and you know, zip in. So you'd kind of you'd overhear things as a necessary, like, I'm backstage in my office and I'm telling you, you're fired. It'd be like the cameraman was going around, kind of making it more gritty and realistic. That's
1: really cool. yeah. really
0: cool. So, you know, Bischoff, Hervey, they got a bit of a, a brain trust going on there. I was followed by Bischoff, Hervey Entertainment on Twitter way really? back in the day. I was really excited. I was like, well, what does Bischoff actually do? And I know that he did do Hulk Hogan's celebrity championship wrestling, which was a terrible reality show where him and Hulk Hogan judged celebrities of becoming wrestlers. Oh
1: my God, Kevin. Can we do that as bonus content?
0: I think so. If not, that will have Hulk Hogan's micro championship wrestling, which involves little people in the exact same capacity. What,
1: people with dwarfism? Yes. The thing is about that, right? I would genuinely love to watch a serious promotion featuring people with dwarfism who are wrestlers.
0: Uh, I'll tell you right now, El Chirino, uh, who used to be at the Los Matadors, I've seen some of his shit that he did in in Mexico. Holy shit. I think El Chirino was one of the most fucking incredible wrestlers ever. And yeah, I want to see folks with dwarfism who wrestle. I want to see them treated seriously. And I want to see them be athletic and have great matches. I don't think that's weird.
1: No, that's not funny. No. I just want to see that. That sounds really cool.
0: But I think historically how folks with dwarfism have been treated in wrestling, you know, reading Bret Hart's book, it has been as kind of the carnival oddity, kind of the 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 strange, like, can you believe it? You know, not necessarily for the merits of their athleticism, despite the fact that there's been numerously incredibly athletic, you know, wrestlers with dwarfism mm. over the years. And I do think in modern times, people are a little bit trepidatious about it because they think that if you're going to do that, then that means that it's going to be this kind of carnival... Kind yeah, of, ha, ha, weird thing you know so I've not seen Hulk Hogan's micro championship wrestling I can't
1: imagine it's handled with uh, the utmost of grace mm,
0: yeah but I popped onto the old Bischoff Hervey Entertainment website here they have got some serious shows here Joe I know you want to do some bonus content on the Hulk Hogan's celebrity championship wrestling but could I tempt you with I want to be a Hilton Scott Bow is 45 and single Scott Bau is 46 and pregnant <laughs> Confessions of a Teen Idol Billy Ray Cyrus, Home at Last. Outlaw Country, Hardcore Pawn, Chicago. See Dad Run.
1: (laughs) See Dad Run.
0: (laughs) The Devil's Ride. The Catalina, Beverly Hills Fabulous, Wrestling with Death. (laughs) Dope Man, Rogue Society, Posse, The Young Guns of PBR. I Heart Nick Carter, Big Easy Brides. Bear Swamp Recovery (laughs) Lay It Down With CeeLo Green Finding Hulk Hogan Party Monsters Cabot And of course there's one movie The Butlers in Love Wow
1: (laughs) What a little bit of trash
0: Right I think it could be a patron stretch goal For us to review uh, Either Wrestling With Death Or Bear Swamp Recovery Oh, well, God, just so you know, Bischoff viewed himself for many years, he, he was out of wrestling for a long time, you know, I mean he was gone for the, the year before he went back to WWE, but after that, you know, it was you know, four or five years he really established himself as a TV producing guy, that was kind of his, his bread and butter. But in 2002, the stars aligned, enough time had passed and enough storylines about WCW invading the company had kind of proved to be unsuccessful. So, it's 2002. There needs to be general managers now of Raw and SmackDown. Stephanie McMahon has been named as the general manager of SmackDown because she's more grown up now. As she listen and learn the true sound, I'm finally getting my turn because I'm Pablo Escobar and I'm also a pimp and I'm a gangster and I'm also an astronaut. And uh, then Eric Bischoff is named as the general manager of Raw. And honestly, when I was a kid and I saw this on Raw, I was confused beyond belief because i'd heard the name and i'd never seen the man before in my life
1: so what did you think he was did you think he was a wrestler did you think i
0: knew he was a wcw guy
1: but did you think he was a wrestler no i
0: I knew he was he was like a involved in wcw somehow but like when he's like there's only one man who can run this company it takes a real ruthless son of a bitch to run it and from one ruthless son of a bitch to another the general manager is Eric Bischoff, and people reacted like Satan had come out on TV. (laughs) The interaction between Vince and Bischoff—it literally gives me goosebumps. I think is one of the most perfect moments in wrestling.
1: It's so fun. Ever, (laughs) how do these
0: two alphas interact, Joe?
1: They give each other a really firm hug, and it's the type of hug that's like—it's the hug equivalent of. A really competitive handshake.
0: You stay the fuck away from my daughter. That type of a hug.
1: Where, where you kind of like where you're shaking someone's hand, and you're squeezing their hand really tightly to kind of like to show that you're the more powerful person. Yeah. Only it's a hug, so they're like tapping each other on the back really hard yeah, like a
0: strong style forearm strike. Yeah. yeah 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 fight forever
1: and they are hugging for a long time and
0: Bischoff yanks them back in
1: they come in for a second hug yeah. and the
0: best bit is they do this ridiculous fucking like electric shock handshake and Bischoff sticks the thumbs up underneath and goes yeah and my favourite bit about this is Jerry Lawler who's like literally speechless he's like I'm sat next to Vince McMahon for six years and he wished bloody death death on eric Bischoff. why is he here it's this is the bit now that i really was excited to get to yeah and another thing that's come up from the 83 weeks podcast that everyone has said unequivocally that bischoff says that the run he had the four years when he was the general manager just a character no executive no creative that was the best time of his career the most fun that he had
1: i feel it's important at this point to discuss about eric being hired by vince because it could you know some people could hear that and think wow that's really mature of vince like what like what a big person he is that he was willing to put behind old feuds and hire his old rival eric bischoff who you know could have put vince out of business entirely and they
0: had said you know the big thing in that when they had their interview or when he first called them you know Vince says, one well, of the reasons I'm doing this is because I thought if the shoe's on the other foot, you do the same. And Bischoff in his book was like, <laughs> probably
1: not. Like, <laughs> But I feel it's important to get this straight. Yeah. Vince did not hire Eric because he's a nice guy no. who's giving him an opportunity because he wishes he wishes to believe it would have been done to him. Vince knows it wouldn't have been done the way around. Mm. Vince is a small little man <laughs> who knew that Vince could give Eric a job and therefore humiliate him. Mm -hmm. And it'd be a daily way for him to put over the fact that he won.
0: Yeah. I think... It's a power fantasy. There's definitely a large power fantasy part of this. I would say, though, there's one thing about this I think is it does it's it's a convenient thing that eric happens to be an excellent performer yes and that they needed someone because vince you know in 2002 we had had vince on screen nonstop for like four years really as the big bad and we needed someone else we needed something fresh and bischoff as the heel authority figure was a fresh breath of air
1: it's genuinely a great idea yeah
0: i mean i think it's a fabulous like the idea of him like running this show and like the thing that they would do is they would say like you know, Jr. would be really angry on commentary because this son of a bitch, he fired me, you know, a couple of years ago. Or Steve Austin is like, you fired me by FedEx, god damn, why do not want to work for you? <laughs> you know, you got all these people who have legitimate grievances with mm. Bischoff and people are like, oh no, Vince, he's gone mad because he bought WCW and he thinks he runs the wrestling world now. But now he's given the flagship show to the guy who destroyed WCW. What are you doing, Vince? So like, it actually really worked well in all those ways. But absolutely, be under no... Absolutely no false impressions. Vince is doing this to fuck with him. Yeah. You know,
1: paying him well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very well. Very well. And it does great things for the business.
0: But fuck (laughs) me. There are some things that happen. His role is marred by a couple of real dodgy bits Hmm. and a couple of segments that I think are some of the best things WWE have ever produced. Hmm. I can't talk about Bischoff and WWE without mentioning two of the very cringy bits. Firstly, we did watch Bischoff interrupting the fake gay wedding between Billy and Chuck mm. where he revealed himself to be the minister under the prosthetics and all that and he ripped it off I think we talked briefly about it during our live show about couples I mean that's obviously a very iconic moment in its own right uh, also for the fact I mean when you were watching that were you shocked at the audience reaction to the Gay wedding ceremony? I
1: was, but probably shouldn't have been. Yeah. The fact that they all cheered when they found out that they weren't actually gay. Yes, yes, <sighs> yes. <sighs> straight, straight, straight.
0: Both these guys. Both these guys. <laughs> uh, it was so fucking But not cringe. in a
1: gay way. But not in a gay way.
0: <laughs> so, like... Yeah, I mean, I like Bischoff's big reveal of pulling off the the prosthetics. The prosthetics
1: were genuinely impressive.
0: Yeah, because I I remember watching that as a kid and I didn't in a million years think it would be him, you know. I didn't think it was Bischoff. No way. Because that segment goes on, folks, for nearly half an hour. (laughs) It's it's long.
1: Did you think it was an actual old man?
0: Yeah, I thought it was just... Some old guy that they comedy old guy that they had hired. Mm. The other Bischoff thing that we watched, and we had to watch this, even though there was no mention of this on the documentary whatsoever, and this is not prominently featured on the WWE Network at the moment at all. HLA, Joe, what does that acronym stand for?
1: I hate that I know this now. With
0: apologies to lesbians everywhere, right now, folks.
1: Hot lesbian action.
0: Yeah, hot lesbian action. And we watched the hot lesbian action segment from Raw, where two women emerged from a room that had the word lesbians on it.
1: Yeah, the special lesbian room. That's
0: where they come from, isn't it? It's like spawn, they spawn there, right? Yeah, gay
1: men come out from the closet, lesbians come out of the lesbian room. The special
0: lesbian room with the pink font, like, so... Oh, this was fucking ropey. This was was bad.
1: So, 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 so bad.
0: So, the idea with the character of Bischoff is that Bischoff was this sleazy customer. He was this real, like, low-rent guy who... He said he was there to put the E in WWE. He wanted to make it, like, you know, properly entertaining. You know, he wanted to have things like, you know, Playboy, pay-per-view, cross-promotion, which they did. He wanted to have... You know, well, if they've got Billy and Chuck doing a commitment ceremony and, you know, gay rights over on on SmackDown, we're going to have hot lesbian action on Raw because that's what the people really want to see. And the segment is very, very long and very, very uncomfortable as mm. probably the only two women in the fucking country who decided they were cool with doing this slowly undress and grope each other in the ring as Bischoff is like,
1: yeah, now touch your ass. Yeah. It's so uncomfortable. Well, like you just... Uh, I mean, sexualized lesbians is so of the time. But I like, know, it's, right? It just makes me so uncomfortable It's like. In in another parallel universe, I like to imagine that there's this cool lesbian section where they're like, "And here are the lesbians." Because he brings it up by like, literally
0: saying, "And here are the lesbians." Yeah, and
1: out come this like sexualized, like obviously two models. I I would be very surprised if they happen to be gay. Mm. But I would have loved it if, like in this other world that exists in my imagination, just two normal lesbians, very normal people, come out, out and they're like, "Hi," you know. Hi. Yeah, this is us. We're we we're, we're gay. Like, yeah. 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 Okay. Bye. <laughs> Seen any good
0: movies recently? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Read any good books? Do
0: you like wrestling? Yeah. Uh Do yeah. you think controversy creates cash? Yeah. Because I I do I
1: do. So. And then they just they go home and have a nice nice evening together. But no, we have this very uncomfortable scene where they slowly undress each other and touch each other and, and kiss t- each other.
0: 2002, where we had the post-attitude era of slump, and we still had the mindset that. The audience is fascinated with two things, wanking and violence. Yeah. And we're going to give them both an equal measure. At because the same time. I'd say, Joe, pity the poor young boys who were mid-masturbation when Eric Bischoff gave the three-minute warning in this, though.
1: Which I didn't get, this whole three-minute warning thing. I thought it was a reference to how long Eric Bischoff could last in bed. <laughs> I was like, why would you joke about that?
0: Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean i was watching this through gritted teeth this lesbian section them touching each other all that bishop going yeah now kiss her boobs and whatnot and then i was like this is really alarming because the twist is yet to come and that's not the worst thing the twist is is that eric bischoff in the middle of these two women having just undressed in like you know very skimpy lingerie two 400 pounds samoan men come in and brutalize them i'm talking full-on Viking experience. Like, top rope splashes, press slams. And
1: these women are wearing so little clothing. And they're so
0: small as well. Like a
1: tiny little bra and a thong like each of them is wearing like this they just barely covering anything and they are doing these wrestling moves to them which is just like you know legs splayed out everywhere they being thrown stack around them in a
0: 69 position and then yeah. they, they splash off the top
1: it's so tasteless it's so tasteless
0: and so yeah I'm not sure who this was meant to be for because it's like alright teenage boys you know it, it's time for is hey, that not H. the money Hi. shot
1: it's like Ugh. Oh, I mean I can't come unless I see women get brutalized well
0: you know that I I I can't reach climax unless two large men come in and brutalize the both of us. Mm. Like, you know, I wonder if the authors of pain are busy this weekend, for instance. I, I would almost be more forgiving of a segment like this if it was literally like, pure, like, this segment is titillation. That's all it's going to be. But yeah,
1: it's the it's the, the weird violence. violent mix. It's I don't like, get that. Because like, are these women? Are they wrestlers? They don't seem like they're wrestlers. And yet, if you're going to do wrestling moves to them, they should be wrestlers. But then on the other hand, it's like wrestlers shouldn't be treated like this and be made yeah. to get undressed in the middle of the ring. Like that's it's just so confused. It is
0: so. I mean, there were so many. Two thousand two. Like I, I I've reviewed all the Atti and The stuff in two thousand and two is nine million times worse. And so because. You know, they would have sexy stuff and they would have violent stuff in the Attitude Era. But this idea that the two things are like, you know, you're sexy, therefore you're going to get killed, like that didn't really happen. You know, other than maybe with the Dudley Boys, I yeah. guess. But I mean, this, for instance, they had a match where it was uh, Trish and Stacy were going to have a, ma- a bra and panties match, but whoever won the match was going to be able to paddle the other person with a with with a big paddle and spank them. Right. And after the match, Trish. Got the paddle broken over her head and knocked down in the middle of the ring, and it's just like, "Why did they do that? That's not sexy." Like, I think that paddle was literally broken in two.
1: But like, the, <laughs> the scary, sad thing is, a lot of men will find that sexy. Yeah,
0: I'm like, like, was that the mainstream thing at the time? I think, yeah, I it was. Oh, like, because don't get me wrong, I was. 14 when this shit was on. I was the target demo. Mm. And was, no, 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 no.
1: Oh, you're too much of a soft cuck. I, I am. Soy boy.
0: a really weird poor taste of... I'm not saying that like Bischoff was pushing this. He's the face they put with it. Mm. And it makes for some fucking hard viewing. He laughed his head off when it was brought up on his podcast. You know, yeah. he, just it was ridic- he just thought it was so over the top and so ridiculous. And like, hey, like, imagine someone trying to do this now. So, I mean, I guess he could see the footy side of it, I guess. But... I mean, this is definitely the type of thing that if you're introducing someone to wrestling uh, and they see this... (laughs) It will put them off. It will, absolutely. But, look, we've talked a lot about some real dodgy shit that Bischoff did. And I think the most important thing that we need to talk about now is that Bischoff was one hell of a great comedy heel. He was such a smarmy motherfucker. Coming out, always touching his heart, pointing at his cheeks... Pointing at the people, every promo started off with "You people, put the blood in my veins. You're the reason I am here. I love each and every one of you." This disingenuous guy, and it's so funny. Made all the more perfect by the greatest theme song in the history of professional wrestling. I was singing this thing nonstop, and we were watching the clips, and you're like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm better, and <laughs> I'm better than ever." Now, all yesterday evening. Joe was singing that song
1: constantly. Well, you say the song, the first line. Which is? The only one I know. Yeah. I'm back and better than ever. Yeah. After that, no idea. Got a
0: knack for making things better. Uh. Face facts, because your opinion don't matter. There's a maniac who's going to step
1: on whoever. That's great. Great lyrics.
0: I'm getting back because I'm gonna make some changes. Kicking ass, taking names, screaming, I'm so famous. It's a character bible for Eric Bischoff. It's good. It's great. Yeah. I love it. It's so, so good. And it's catchy. And oh, I love most of that Joe was singing that, that bit of the song constantly last night and this morning when we woke up, Joe went oh I've woken up and Genesis is in my head this morning like oh that's very nice we're listening to some prog at the moment my dad's recommending his stuff literally five minutes later Jokes comes downstairs for coffee I'm better <laughs> and I'm better than ever <laughs> it's infectious it is I can't think of a theme song that's gotten under your skin quite like that one like no. <laughs> can we talk about a matchup now between Eric Bischoff who was the general manager but was then given a co-general manager Mm. and if you want Eric Bischoff to be humiliated and have to face the music that he was a bad boss to a lot of people and pissed them off who better than fired in 1985 over the telephone by his secretary Steve Austin is now the stone cold co-general manager with Eric Bischoff now Austin has had several neck problems he's retired from wrestling at this point they can't have a wrestling match and no will we want to review them having a wrestling match it was proposed that because the pay-per-view Bad Bud was taking place in Houston, that they should have a Texas Olympics. And that was then retconned to the Redneck Triathlon.
1: I prefer Texas Olympics.
0: Yeah. Why is that? Because it, it could be more competition or... <laughs> I just,
1: I like the name better. It just yeah. sounds, sounds better.
0: I feel if Texas Olympics, there needed to be medals involved, which maybe they weren't committed to. <laughs> so what we have instead is the Redneck Triathlon. What I got for you, Joe, is three rounds of bust-ass competition. The first contest is the burping contest, your gateway to your final destination, the Skullbuster. <laughs> There's a big wheel with all potential activities on it.
1: I feel, first of all, we should mention this is on pay per view. This is on pay
0: per view, and these two co general managers who can't get along and one of which can't bump are going to settle their differences in this gamesmanship here, basically. Yeah. Yeah. This is
1: two people who can't wrestle trying to put on a wrestling segment.
0: I mean, this is the most wrestling segment ever in the history of wrestling that involves zero wrestling. So, yeah. (laughs) Now, we were quite obsessed with this wheel that they had. Bischoff used a lot of wheels. He would do like Vegas Raw where he would have a a big spin a wheel, make a deal type of thing with all different stipulations on it. Yeah. Often with his little face in the middle as well, which is very good. (laughs) Eric as well, by the way, would open every episode of Raw before the credits rolled at the start, before the intro played at the start. It would just be a flash of his face and everyone would go wow just like it'd be like here's eric bischoff but then when steve austin became general manager they would just show austin's face afterwards so it'd be boo and then austin's smiling yay
1: <laughs>
0: so what were some of these uh, potential contests that we could have had here
1: so we had lawn gnome stealing
0: i would have loved to see a segment where steve austin and eric bischoff drive around stealing lawn gnomes <laughs> in houston in the middle of a pay-per-view yes please
1: cow tipping <laughs> Farting contest
0: Oh man
1: Tobacco spitting
0: He's got your beat there Eric
1: Greased pig catching <laughs> And my personal favourite Roadkill Bake Off
0: Wow Roadkill <laughs> Bake Off
1: Starring Mary Berry and Paul Hollywood Yeah and
0: Austin does a really good job on his uh, on his armadillo souffle And he gets the, the handshake from Paul Hollywood And gives him the stunner Well wha- bam You know right in the middle of the ring there So we start off with a burping contest <laughs> Such is the baddie nature of Eric Bischoff that his burp gets heat from the crowd.
1: I don't like that these burps are all fake. This is cowardly.
0: Bischoff's first burp was was, was a good a good mime. Yeah. The second burp from awful. onwards. Austin's yeah. first burp was okay. No,
1: Austin's burp was awful as well.
0: I think problem with Austin is that he, he worked his burps too much. Like, he sold yeah. them, you know. He had fucking veins popping, his eyes were bulging.
1: <laughs> Tongue lolling out.
0: sweating at the end of it. Like, he got blown up doing this, I think. <laughs> My favourite part is when Austin, after having cheated by using an illegal means of a pre-recorded burp. Mm. It's the Royal Rumble 99 all over again. Uh, he claimed that one of his burps was a wet burp. Nah. And my favourite line from Eric Bischoff In this entire whole episode that we've been doing I can beat that burp (laughs) (laughs) What a difference a year makes huh?
1: Uh, It's good to be king I can beat that burp
0: (laughs) So even though Austin's performance deteriorates He is viewed as being the winner Of this burping contest Mm. And I will say something I do enjoy A lot about this segment is that they come out to the ring Like nine times so you get to hear I'm burp Every other moment. That's yeah. A big fan of that. So Eric is picking the next contest, Joanna. What have we got?
1: He starts bragging about how he loves to eat pie. And so they spin the wheel and it lands on pie eating contest. And they don't mean a baked pie. They mean pie? Yeah. They mean Now,
0: this is this come up on how to before? No, no. Okay, because I've spent most of my 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 recent working life trying to get to the bottom of all this. But as to your understanding, Hmm. pie in wrestling. Who said it? What does it mean? It's why not, is it used? It's
1: not just in wrestling. It was very much a, a phrase of the time. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Boys in school would often talk about I thought that pie. was because of,
0: of, of who said it. It might
1: be because of wrestling. I don't know. Because it's
0: The Rock. You it know? penetrated
1: mainstream either way. Yeah.
0: The Rock used to always go on about... Having some Poontang pie. Yeah. And the rock would be like, The Rock's gonna not just have any old pie, the rock's gonna have the best pie. The rock's not picky, he'll have apple pie, he'll have chocolate pie, he'll have cherry pie, and he'll do like a racist voice or something. Yeah. That that was kinda of the rock shtick back then. Mm. And as a kid, I was like, Ha ha pie! <laughs> Uh, Because you know, I was ten. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Didn't you say that you used to draw loads of pies? I did. I draw pies everywhere. everywhere.
0: I was the type of kid who, if if you saw me at a summer camp, I would just like say like, ah, pie. You know, like you know. And people, do you like Weeble and Bob? No. Just my pies. No, not that. Not like that. Just actual pies. And I didn't realize the Rock was talking about um, you know cunnilingus.
1: Yeah, eating that pussy.
0: And I will say, right off the bat, I can tell, I can tell, Eric Bischoff eats pussy like a fucking full-time job. Absolutely. Don't
1: don't get to be married to a woman like that for 31 years without eating some pie.
0: Exactly. That guy, he's gonna win the fucking pie contest, let me tell you right (laughs) now. Okay, Give him the blue ribbon.
1: And he's bragging about how good he is at eating pie.
0: Yeah, which I will say right now, if you're gonna put Eric Bischoff and The Rock in a pie-eating contest, I mean, come on.
1: Come on. Yeah. I think
0: Seriously? I going to win, yeah. You talk a big game, Dwayne. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the, the thing that, like, made me kind of laugh was that they, I mean, because they keep talking about this pie eating contest. And it's not clear in the show whether or not they actually mean eating pussy. Or if they mean, like... Because I feel... Wait, hang
0: on a second. I ain't got to fuck a pie now, do I?
1: (laughs) I feel when I was growing up and all the boys in school would talk about, like, eating pie, to them, it meant having sex with a vagina.
0: Oh, I see.
1: I don't think they realised it meant... Performing cunnilingus. Yeah, they
0: didn't know it actually meant being like you know an attentive lover. Yeah. Because I think if that was it, like you know, like, let's, be, let's all be attentive lovers, guys. Come on <laughs> now, you know. let's no, let's give them what they want. You know, it's not no, it's not right. No, it's not right. You gotta, you can't just be thinking about yourselves, guys. Come on now, that's not what the rock was talking about.
1: Like all the boys in school who would go on about eating pie with the same boys that would be like, ew, gross, at the idea of like performing cunnilingus.
0: Eric has picked a pie eating contest, and then Steve Austin is all on board with this. The the, the tension has gone straight away. These two are buddy buddies suddenly because they walk in and Austin's like let's eat all these women's pussies together yeah
1: they both want to go first they're both really keen to eat the pussy
0: and I've got a direct quote here from Joe Graham at this point because there's a lot of like no I'm going to go first no I'm going to go first and these four ladies are like well someone's going to have to go first yeah they've,
1: they've brought in these Eric Bischoff has found these four beautiful women everyone agrees that they are very very gorgeous women who, they asked the audience yeah, to make sure yeah they yeah. checked and they were like we're going to eat these women's pies now we're going to eat their pussies and his- so- Here's a
0: quote from Joe Graham They better eat those Fucking women's pussies <laughs> And then they're like Okay Eric You can go first He's like great I'm back And he walks out Assumedly to eat a woman's pussy In public In,
1: in the ring
0: Yeah I do my business on oh, in front of each And every one of you <laughs> what's this <laughs> can
1: you imagine how unentertaining that would be like in terms of all the sex acts in the world i'm pretty sure cunnilingus is one of the least entertaining to watch someone else do
0: all i'll say is joe we're very close here to what actually happened once in wrestling that's all i'll say
1: what does that mean
0: it's all i'll say i cannot say anymore
1: you tell me this that pussy has been eaten in wrestling before
0: mm, we're, we're, we're we're it's gotten close to i mean it was heavily alluded to
1: oh my god that's all i'm
0: saying you know in terms of the how do you think the visual would play out in the wrestling ring that's all that's all i'll say no i'm not talking about mickey james that got cut from the network (laughs) very very public this and when he's coming out steve austin with his ultimate put down you ain't eric bischoff you are eric jerk (laughs) off Boom. boom there's a swerve coming here eric bischoff who's yeah. like there like licking his chops rubbing his hands together he
1: can't wait got to a big that erection pussy. like yeah. you know
0: gotta get that yee-haw taste like you know he's putting on
1: moist like putting on lip balm
0: yeah he's uh he's, he's doing his hand exercises you know he's moving his neck around like you know he's making sure there's enough pillows
1: Math exercises yeah exactly that yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> so austin comes out and he's like now you said you were gonna eat the pie so i get to pick the pie and eric's like well pff, hey you know i'm not i'm not fussy man. i'm gonna i'm gonna eat a whole fucking plate load i'm, I'm gonna toby carve it. i'm gonna up for seconds mate like yeah <laughs> e- extra gravy yeah as much as i can please yeah did you see the swerve coming
1: I saw a swerve coming. I didn't see what swerve was going to well, come. Like
0: he was going to do a really bad job at it. Like, well, inside. like I figured... It's not working. <laughs> I, what's wrong? I, well, I've, I've, done every, I've literally done everything I can. I, I don't know what you expect me to do. I went <laughs> down there. I said the alphabet. That's all I'm actually going to do. No, I think there's something wrong. I think you should go to a doctor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Stone Cold decides to bring out not one of the four women that Eric Bischoff has sourced. Yeah. He's gone and found someone else. He's found Mae Young. Yeah! Who, for new listeners, might not know. May Young is a 77-year-old woman? Here
0: she would have been... I'd say probably around seventy-eight or so seventy-eight. There,
1: right? so. Yeah, I'm not far off. That's, yeah, no, I was, I was trying
0: to think because you know I'm trying to think. Cause she she lived to a. I mean, she was wrestling when she was in her fucking eighties. or she it's had amazing. a match on Raw. Like. She's an amazing woman, and we are doing an episode on, on yes. May at some point, which I am very excited about because I think you know, she wrestled in the forties and stuff like that. That's a complete unknown. Yeah, you know, that, that's like charting completely new waters. I am so excited for that. So, yeah, but yeah, May Young coming out here. I was both giddy for this but also a little bit treading it
1: <laughs> so did you see this before oh yeah
0: I watched this live on pay-per-view <laughs> in boarding school I snuck down after hours to watch so this so what
1: did you think they were going to what did you think they meant by eating pie
0: I was 100% convinced Mae Young was coming out
1: to do what
0: to do exactly what she was going to do
1: so you thought they were going to eat Mae Young's pussy no I
0: thought Mae Young was just going to come out and like assault him
1: right okay
0: that was a hundred percent why I knew was going to happen it was it was the recurring punchline at the time keep in mind the only other time I think you've seen Mae Young on this podcast is when Bubba Ray Dudley powerbombed her off the stage
1: she also gave birth to a hand
0: she did give birth to a hand yeah and of course, before she got power bombed off the stage by Bubba Ray Dudley, she went, "You better not fucking take it easy on me."
1: <laughs> I love her. I love Mae
0: Young. So yeah, Mae Young comes out, and as Austin says, "Anyone can do the pretty ones. Anyone can do the young ones." So Eric is like, "Right, we're both adults. Come here," and he kisses her. And you were like, "Boo! Eat her pussy! Yeah, eat her pussy!" And then good guy Steve Austin's like, "Hang on a minute." you kissed her this is a pie contest and you're like yeah Austin." <laughs> <Awesome. laughs> like i don't think I ever before had a wrestler captured the vibe of the room quite like steve <laughs> austin demanding eric bischoff eat may young's pussy
1: <laughs>
0: quite on the nose here so how would you describe what happens
1: with eric well first of all i want to say if it had been me if i had been may young in that situation i would have forced his head down <laughs> while he was kissing <laughs> like nope damn there he then goes to the corner and she just kind of like attacks him she kicks him in the balls she kicks him in the balls that's it she kicks him in the balls he falls down into the the floor and then she just kind of takes her skirt off and she's wearing this like suspend like garter belt suspenders and a thong yeah and then she runs and like runs vagina first into she eric She wallops him
0: with her vagina yeah
1: right into his face and then like grinds on him on his head
0: and the best thing about this is that unbeknownst to eric or any of the performers in the ring i for, I forget where i heard this there was some wrestler backstage and like right before the segment they saw may and they said hey and they're like what look at this here. and they opened up a tin of sardines and just poured it down into the pants <laughs> The idea being that when like she what made it made it yeah wow so the idea is that when she did the bronco buster to Bischoff that he would get all this fucking juice and goo and oh, oh,
1: Bischoff the legitimately smell. looked
0: like he was about to throw up
1: yeah and then it comes to Stone Cold's turn and Bischoff is like well you're gonna have to eat her pie now come on it's your turn and he just gives her the stunner and forfeits the round instead the
0: crowd didn't react at all they were like oh. Just yeah. like the, the, the rabid Houston crowd did not want to see this old woman get stunned by Steve Austin, surprisingly. This is the
1: third woman in underwear to be attacked in the ring.
0: There's a bit of a theme right here at mm. the moment, isn't it? Like, yeah. You're not safe to be in your pants in wrestling if you're no. a woman in this time and age. This is, in all honesty, Joe, the absolute poster child of a segment that I would have thought you would have absolutely hated. Yeah. Because they're using an old lady for yucks and giggles. But, but it, she's
1: in on it. But
0: she's in on it. That's important. And right? it's like kind
1: of her idea. Like the whole thing with pouring sardines into her pants is hilarious. Yeah. Like, and it's the fact that it's Mae Young of all people. Like she has such a sense of humor when it comes to stuff like this. Like she she gets the joke. She's in on it. Mm. It's not like a cruel like ha ha old women generally. It's it's like ah uh, I, I I like it personally. Yeah. I can totally see if other people don't like it. Though. Yeah, I
0: think it made. I but like the thing is is that like of all the things that they've done back in those days i think some of the stuff with may has actually aged a little bit better yeah in some i think respects, so. just because the more the stories have come out about how may actually was involved mm. and because i think at the time as a kid i used to think because she would kind of waddle out there it's like oh this is a poor old woman she's got no agency over what she's doing but she did have a lot oh
1: yeah she's spry she comes out she's dancing all around the ring she's like cheeky as fuck
0: we have absolutely no ability or technology to smell there is no reason why may would do that other than to be a fucking trickster and fuck around (laughs) with eric bischoff just cause like you know fucking ridiculous Coming up next, the third round of the Redneck Triathlon is a good old-fashioned country sing-off. And Eric's very confident because Stone Cold Steve Austin's voice sounds like an industrial grinding machine. Eric comes out to his own music to then sing his own music.
1: Yeah, he doesn't really sing it, though. He just mimes it. Millie
0: Vanilli, you suck. Austin tells Eric that he sucks like yeah. nine times throughout yeah. the night. Like. It's
1: very satisfying to watch. <laughs> I just...
0: think like Austin, like, he... I love
1: that he can work with
0: him like this because mm. like Austin has you know we watched your ECW Austin complaining about Bischoff and WCW and he's dressed up as Hogan and he's like fucking manic how angry he yeah. is about how he was treated and there is a part of it that's like is he just having fun with this guy who fucked him over at once but now it's like no I think the two of these guys are literally just having so much fun they've mm. talked at length on their podcast about how they became really close friends by doing Aww. all this stupid shit and like yeah, Eric Bischoff's the fucking devil and all that. I get that people have got big issues with them, but I think what's important for fans to recognize is that if the wrestlers themselves can actually reconcile the hatred and differences they have with certain figures, then you yourselves as fans, it should be a lot easier for you to let shit go. Because, yeah, it didn't affect you. It affects Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's fine. Yeah. So, like, yeah, calm down. It's all right, like, yeah. you know? And I think there's a lot of stuff like that with Heyman and Bischoff and Russo, I think, where people are still very angry about them and the things that they're angry about, those people have moved on. Mm. They're fine, like, you know, everyone's got a podcast you need guests for. Everyone's okay yeah. now. <laughs> There's a no contest, so it's a respin of the wheel to make a deal and we land on... Pig pen fun, what?
1: what? <laughs> pig pen fun, which just has yeah. a picture of some shit on the wheel.
0: <laughs> Did you figure out what was gonna happen at this point?
1: Well, yeah, because they had a big pig pen on like the stage, basically, that was full of adorable piglets. Those
0: piglets were the fucking cutest goddamn thing. They in literally the world. found the
1: cutest pigs ever.
0: I Loved this so. Firstly, like you were like, oh man, I felt bad for the audience. All the pig shit. Like Jr. is just like putting over the pig shit. Like there's nothing fouler in this world than pig excrement. I'd rather die than smell this. Like he's just (laughs) so putting it over. And like, yeah, I was wondering in your mind what would be a worse crowd to sit in Sturgis with the with the bike fumes or Houston with the pig shit in the air. Oh,
1: the pig shit would be yeah. worse, I think.
0: When I was doing my bear research in China, I was beside a pig farm. Oh no. And the pig shit, Mike, they used to just, it used to come out of a pipe at the front of the building and just sprayed mm. out onto the road like.
1: A childhood friend of mine grew up on a pig farm, so I'm Oof. only too familiar with the smell. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a it's a not a good one. So yeah, poor old Eric Bischoff here, who is gonna have to go into the pit. Like, there's not even a, a contest. It's just like you're gonna go in the pit. Yeah, now.
1: <laughs> this is exactly like siblings playing a fun game. It's like yeah. here's the fun game where you have to do a shitty thing and we're gonna beat you up.
0: <laughs> what you mean the fun game where my brother hit me with a nightstick wasn't a fun game?
1: Yeah, <laughs> but we had so much fun. Yeah, it was so fun
0: i love this austin's like everyone this audience is now deputized by me the (laughs) co-general manager and eric bischoff going around to fans going no undeputized 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 no there's too many of them (laughs) eric gets thrown a hideous bump yeah we saw montages in the documentary of eric taking bumps getting chokeslammed off stages put through stages for someone with no real wrestling trade and bischoff really took a lot of hard knocks you know, including breaking his arm when he got chokeslammed off the stage by Kane because his arm instinctively went out to break his fall. Oh no! So he gets thrown into pig shit, not a safe landing, horrible. And I love Bischoff landing right in front of those cute pigs and the little cute pigs are like a Bischoff like raises his fist like yeah, you son of a <laughs> what a fucking pantover, what beautiful performance. So good, I. Hated this when I watched it back in the day because I think all I wanted to see in 2003 was Stone Cold Steve Austin wrestle. But watching this here and how much fun these guys were obviously having, this was fucking golden. I mean, does this get a star rating as it's a contest of sorts in
1: wrestling? I'll give it three stars out of five. It was was fun. It dragged on a bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess this was spread out throughout the pay-per-view these segments, I guess. So if you watched the whole show, which was a bad show... I was I literally when we turned on Bad Blood two thousand and three, I was like, Jesus, this, this is like when I was watching Wrestling, I was the only one watching it. Like no one was sneaking down yeah. to watch it. I was like, what the fuck am I doing with myself? Like why am I watching this dumb shit? Like I, I was so close to not being a wrestling fan around this time. Now Bischoff had a lengthy four-year tenure as the Heel General Manager, not limited to him being thrown into shit, him being beaten up by Stone Cold. Shane McMahon, John Cena, you know, he was he was often aligned with the you know the top heels like Triple H and stuff like that, but he was someone who was getting his come up and like all the goddamn time. He got his head shaved by Eugene. Huh. Do you know Eugene, the character we mentioned?
1: I vaguely know of Eugene from when uh, I've gotten to hang out with you, Adam, and Billy.
0: Yeah, so he's a character who's meant to be like kind of a special needs kid. I think. Yeah. It's, we'll say it's,
1: it's kid, it's a grown man. It's a
0: grown man who was treated like a child. This is a difficulty W always have with treating, you know, folks yeah. with different abilities as being children. But yeah, Eugene was. It's a very controversial character in many ways. It's definitely something I would say needs a needs an in depth examination. But they did the story where he was Bischoff's nephew. Okay. So like they did this kind of idea that, you know, Bischoff had this nephew that he didn't, you know, didn't really have contact with kind of the black sheep of the family and it was a like this man with special needs. It was kind of a little
1: bit That's icky. Yeah. A bit
0: icky and a bit cringy. But he had four years as general manager. This all came to a head where Vince McMahon was like, You suck. You're really terrible at your job <laughs> You, if you don't make Raw better in the next like two weeks or whatever it is you're fired and he'd done this before they did a really great thing where after Steve Austin took his ball and went home Vince was like you, Raw sucks get me Stone Cold Steve Austin and you know this is when Austin was going to come back and Bischoff was like Stone Cold Steve Austin he's like yeah you hire him and, and like Bischoff then had to try and find Steve Austin all these bars around Texas and, you know, try and hunt him down. It was really, really great. Like, But this was another ultimatum where it's like, right, if you don't make the show better and achieve your objectives, you're going to be fired. And Bischoff comes out expecting to be fired. And Vince says, look, you've not achieved your objectives, but I'm a fair man. And tonight you're going to get your fair trial. And we get the trial of Eric Bischoff. 30 minutes in length. We watch this whole sucker in one go. And I... You know, This is saying a lot, seeing as we spent our last episode watching Cocobana and Toruyano and Kikutaru and all these amazing comedy performers who are just had us in stitches. It says a lot that I could say this is easily one of the most times we've ever laughed at something. Explain this trial for us, Joe.
1: It starts off in the ring. Vince drives out in a garbage truck. Which is is kind of spoilers that Eric's gonna be fired, because can you imagine the heat if Vince drove out in this garbage truck was like, Yeah, if Eric doesn't do his job, I'm gonna put him in this garbage truck and drive off with him and then they don't do that. That would be very disappointing.
0: You say, ah, sorry guys, you didn't fire him. Eric, you get to continue. Beep, beep,
1: beep, <laughs> beep, beep. beep. <laughs> so, yeah, Vince drives out in this garbage truck and he's like, Eric uh, you've uh, you've been awful and rubbish, and you're a big loser. And now we're going to have the <laughs> trial to see if you should keep your job. And there's this chair in the ring on a special like podium thing, like a pedestal type. Because Vince is very special. Yeah, I guess a special chair. And then there's two podiums as well, where there's the defense attorney, who is Jonathan Coachman, can stand. Were you, and- were
0: you um, surprised to see? First while terrible broadcast analyst i was jonathan joe only knows coach from what like his really really brief run on raw commentary yeah. where he stank the joint up
1: for the controversy what was it oh yeah was it the text messages yeah. that
0: was it god you don't hear from the coach much these no. days huh better check out the pre-show panel guys <laughs>
1: And then in comes Mick Foley, who is the prosecuting attorney. And he has a little Batman lunchbox, which is very cute.
0: This is kind of like what I love these segments where, like, if you've been following the show along and learning about these characters, like, these, these segments are kind of very, very special where I kind of feel you get to see something and then you get to actually... This is what being a fan is about, where you get to actually see these characters who you know who are brought in for surprises, unlike... You know, when WDB so often brings in characters, there's no context. You don't know why they're here. You don't know what they're for. You're just meant to know that they're awesome. Like, mm-hmm. this is really great that you got to see, you know, Foley being brought out as a little surprise. We've done a bit about Foley, so you knew why this was special. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was awesome.
1: <laughs> so then they go to an actual courtroom, which is amazing. And Vince is dressed as a judge. Of course. And he looks so perfect. He just is the perfect like, stereotypical judge.
0: Because he's got the production meeting, like, no, we won't be pushing Daniel Bryan, glasses at the end yeah. of his nose. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> he, he has that stoic old Vince look on his face. And now, just so we know, I have to explain to Joe this is not to be confused with Wrestler's Court. No. Because the dead man, booger red justice Mark Calloway would have been presiding if that was the case. Yes.
1: I can't stop <laughs> thinking about how much I imagine Vince loved doing this. Oh, you f- of course. Believe he is. <laughs> Uh, We have Chris Masters as a topless bodyguard. He's he's the bailiff, I believe. Sorry, the bailiff. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Nice piece of meat there.
1: And the prosecution bring in their first witness, which is Stephanie McMahon.
0: And she comes out to her entrance music. <laughs> which is
1: the best. I love that they use entrance music for all the witnesses in this.
0: It's the best. And I swear to God, if I ever find myself at a court of law, it's like introducing the defendant. Ah I'm back. <laughs> I'll strut out there.
1: <laughs> I would love if WWE did like a spin-off wrestling court show. Yes. Which was just like storyline characters like put on trial. Yeah,
0: that that would be that would be great. They actually used to do a bit in the WWE magazine back a couple of years ago where it was like. They would have a certain wrestler be like Vince McMahon or Victoria or Randy Orton and they'd have a mugshot of them as like you're on trial for being a jerk and they'd list all the evidence <laughs> about why they were a jerk and then have you know, the evidence for and against and ask the the readers to, to make their decision. It was great, like Oh my god. But like that's how you develop characters like yes. so many of these characters felt so fleshed out here mm. because of this setting where they weren't just in a ring talking about wrestling each other. Yeah, you it was know? world building. And it was happening in the middle of a wrestling show that was going on. So So this was kind of dipping in and out as the wrestling was happening. You were going back to the courtroom and it had an excellent flow to it, I Mm. felt.
1: Yeah. Stephanie comes out and she presents the first piece of evidence.
0: Ah, yes. This is one of the pieces of evidence I showed you before we started watching uh, the, the documentary. Yeah.
1: Which is Halloween. And Eric Bischoff is there, dressed as Vince McMahon, Stephanie's dad. Yeah,
0: worth worth remembering that, folks. It's
1: an awesome mask he's wearing. I want one. Yeah, it's scary. It's so scary. I
0: don't want you to have one.
1: Oh, I would wear it in the bedroom. You would
0: scare me around the house. I don't want that, like...
1: (laughs) And yeah, in this video, Eric Bischoff, dressed as Vince... He uh, he kisses Stephanie against her will.
0: But but it's one of those like when Kurt Angle kissed a passed out Stephanie McMahon in the year two thousand. It's one of those like, meh, meh. Ooh, I actually like kissing him. You know, she, she 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 starts rubbing his back instead. They make out that she's into it at the yep. end, which is yep. the most fucked up thing in the world. Yep. Well, Eric. Seeing as you've kissed my daughter with a Vince McMahon mask on, the only fair thing here is for me to kiss Stephanie with an Eric Bischoff mask. Give me your skin.
1: <laughs> Stephanie says, Eric Bischoff impersonated my father and violated me.
0: Did she say that he had vomitous breath as well? Yes. She did. In 1993, the federal government tried to kiss my father with illegal, untrue accusations about steroids. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's worth mentioning that Stephanie is not the only member of the McMahon family that Bischoff has kissed. He oh, also no. made out with Linda McMahon on TV mm. as well. So there you go. Way.
1: Mm. Hey. Not a shame, though, because that would be gay.
0: Oh, no, we can't have that. Like, you know, three-minute warning, will be out here in a flash. Like, yeah. You know? So the next witness is called...
1: Tajiri is the second witness. I didn't
0: even know Tajiri was going to be here. This is great. Like, check out our Tajiri episode. It's a fucking, it's a beaut.
1: <laughs> And Tajiri speaking in Japanese, and he has a translator, uh, which is pretty great because at one point Tajiri addresses Bischoff personally by a big dramatic point yeah. like Bischoff, and the translator translates it. Bischoff and Tajiri's <laughs>
0: like what are you doing like she even points at him yeah. like what are you
1: doing <laughs> And then Eric wish- Eric Bischoff whispers to Jonathan Coachman who then says to the court Tagerire needs to get back to the ring as he is scheduled to have a match with Triple H oh man that no good heel bishop! i love
0: that that's like but again that made it feel like a like we're talking about that world yeah. building so that did he then have on. a
1: match with triple h he had a match triple that h? H. that's fantastic because he was dragged away by chris masters yeah to go
0: back into the ring You're know, back at the at the <laughs> arena down the road like. that's
1: fantastic chris masters is actually the third witness so he takes his cap off there he is with no top on goes to sit in the witness stand
0: oh this is brilliant this is so funny because like you think chris masters he's like one of bischoff's boys and he's like you know thumbs up yeah. it's like the bailiffs in his pocket He's like state your name for the court he's like my name is chris masters the masterpiece and vince is like uh, all right this man has perjured himself i happen to know that his name is actually chris mordesky that is not his given <laughs> name and, and masters is like
1: bro kayfabe what are you doing i thought we were convinced no then it's time for the next witness which is Divari. Who gives his testimony.
0: Now, I don't know if he's touched upon Mohammed Hassan and Davari much in previous episodes. No, we've not. Very much a 9-11 has happened, so let's do an Arab-American panic thing. And on its, like It was literally like, if you watched the wrestling show and you didn't know the context, it was like, hear all the wrestlers beating up the guy who's speaking you know arabic and he's like coming out to this chant of allah and stuff but the actual storyline was that muhammad hassan was actually an arab american who had a hatred in his heart for the fact that after 9-11 people hated arab americans and there was lots of sensible-minded arab americans like him out there who weren't terrorists and he was going to prove that by beating up all the americans and having a guy shout about Like, they really made out that he was a terrorist. Wow. Like, they had a bit where, like, the Undertaker was attacked by all these guys in, like, balaclavas and, you know, army fatigues and stuff on his behalf. It's, it was wrong. They had a little excuse in there to try and make it seem like it was okay. That excuse made nothing sense. thought I should bring that up because Daivari's a very hot-button character that they've just kind of thrown in the mix here. They
1: did, yeah. He gives his testimony and he's very much pro-Eric Bischoff. He's like, yeah, Bischoff's pretty great. Uh, He's a good boss. He uh, creates lots of controversy, which creates cash, you know, which is obviously a good thing. Um, but unfortunately Vince is busy listening to Ashley Simpson on his new iPod So he doesn't hear what he says
0: Wow That is the most 2006 thing I've ever no. heard in my life No it's not though because Ashley Simpson sucks quite frankly
1: Ashley Simpson didn't release any music after 2005 I'm sure so So Vince was in the
0: back catalogue like yeah. You know my god leave her alone Vince Okay Ashley Simpson didn't break through the barriers like we thought she would Neither did Jessica It's alright the Kardashians will be here shortly <laughs>
1: And with that, it's time for recess. Mick takes out his yes. lunchbox.
0: <laughs> Polly's such a nerd. He's like, yes, recess rules. <laughs>
1: Eats his moon pie and throws one over for Eric, which is very cute. Uh,
0: we were gifted... Many moons ago, a, a box of American candies mm. from a, a lovely listener, and it was one of the most special, beautiful things ever. American yeah. candies are the greatest thing, and I found out that moon pies are just big old wagon wheels. Yeah, which is the greatest thing ever because uh, wagon wheels are great. Yeah, you know, a wagon wheel is to a moon pie as a pepperami is to a slim jim. Yeah, different, not necessarily better or worse, but great.
1: Let's get some wagon wheels soon.
0: Yeah. Oh God, I'm hungry now.
1: Yeah, me too. <laughs> so then it's recesses over, and it's time for the next witness, and it's the Boogeyman, who I'm only familiar with because we watched a three-hour live stream. Wait, no,
0: hang on. You're going to make him seem like a big weirdo now.
1: What? We didn't watch
0: the three hours. We
1: skimmed through... I'd say we watched an hour in total of this three hour. It was really funny, though. It was really funny. Adam found it and was like, have you seen this? And we're like, yeah, we skimmed through a bit of it. And we all, Then we all had to watch bits of it together, and it's just... He played guitar and ate worms and talks to himself and it was madness. How
0: to Boogeyman coming yep. your way soon. <laughs> we'll just review that and nothing else.
1: <laughs> but yeah, the Boogeyman is the next witness and he has a worm up his nose and he kind of garbles some nonsense and then vanishes. Do you like the Boogeyman? Uh, I don't really know what to think of the Boogeyman.
0: Well, broad strokes, I'm going to go to the character Bible. He's the Boogeyman. Mm. And he's coming to get you. Okay. That's kind of it, really. Right. Oh, and sometimes he would he would have a clock and go, "Mary had a little <laughs> and then he hit a clock on his head. Okay. And then he'd be like, "I'm the boogeyman. I'm coming to get you."
1: That explains why he hit the clock on his head in the testimony. It did.
0: Yeah. He, right. He was really trying to make the clock ring. Do you know? as he kept kind of going, and the time is ticking. Tucking tickets. It, no, it's like go like bang. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> It'd be better if it was ringing, obviously, guys, but we do what we can. You know, it calls an audible.
1: And then we have our next witness.
0: Star witness, this.
1: None other than person we know well from the modern product. Yeah. It's Maria Canellis.
0: Now, Maria, in modern times, what do you know her primarily for? I mean, we've talked about her in our Patreon reviews. You know, obviously, Mike Canellis and Maria have been part of the to brand for a few years now I
1: have she's currently in a storyline I mean this is what end of November 2019 there's been nothing ab- this.
0: there's been nothing about it in weeks and weeks really actually. yeah they've, I think they've one of those things that, they've not done the SARSA on a yeah, show. they've not done, done salsa. the Sarsa, no interesting that
1: but she's most recently been involved in a storyline where and she's pregnant but she's being very elusive as to who the father is
0: because her husband's a piece of shit and yeah, I hate
1: him yeah he's a cuck
0: yay thanks paul Heyman. did all those edgy kids you get come into the offices tell you about cooking is that why this is the storyline on raw now
1: he's into it
0: oh absolutely i was really worried when maria showed up because i knew her character at the time i had to like, pause and be like oh yeah Ooh. just so you know her character is like she's in like a total total idiot like the most stereotypical 2004 type of uh Stereotype of a bimbo, you know. I was really worried about it, but then I remembered that they have a nice little twist on that here. So,
1: first of all, so Mick Mick Foley starts to talk to her, and she's like, um "Can you talk to me as Mr. Zacco? kind it easier to understand." And he's like, uh, "Okay, if it pleases the court, I would like to add." A sock to the <laughs> prosecutorial team I can't
0: remember or not have been said this is highly unusual he but did is highly irregular <laughs> but I'll allow it
1: and so Mick Foley brings out Mr. Soccer. and I
0: love because a coach and, and, and Bischoff like nah, this is going to be great like yeah. she's an idiot yeah. so.
1: and then she very eloquently says that Bischoff should be fired using very long complicated words and I think capricious, capricious was in was there using-
0: <laughs> you know she went through the word of the day calendar at a rate of knots there it was it was excellent and a real like fuck you moment yeah i, I love that so much
1: <laughs> and then it's time for the closing statements john cena comes out
0: yeah john cena john cena's appearance here and involvement here is so surplus to requirements yep. and what's very interesting is that bischoff said what they wanted to happen was that he comes out and then he would put bischoff in the bin and bischoff actually even though he said he rarely if ever gave his two cents about stories, he was like, No, you have to have Vince do it. And he's right. And he's absolutely right. Yeah yeah it would
1: have been to- it would have been so random. The
0: power of fantasy
1: wouldn't have been fulfilled then. Yeah, Jack. exactly. No no no. It's perfect that Vince was the one to put him in the garbage truck and then drive off in it dressed as a judge.
0: That is quite the image
1: it's so good i loved this whole segment i gave it five out of five stars it's perfect i recommend this to everybody
0: it's up in its whole entirety on the wwe youtube page the only thing they did was they cut out may young's appearance oh yeah and i wonder if it's because Mula was there as well or it's because she was making lots of uh, cunnilingus mouth and hand gestures mm. but that has been cut from the edit but it's otherwise up there in in whole and it's great and like it's great from a period in time of wrestling that I don't, you know, my I've only watched that, in the most recent time I've watched that, was 2006, mm. you know? And I don't have necessarily the fondest memories of that period of time of wrestling. It's,
1: we're kind of a dark age of wrestling. I,
0: I kind of thought, because it was trying really hard, it was still when we were trying really hard to be edgy mm. and have, you know, you know, the sexiest women on TV and have loads of like kind of hardcore, crazy, brawly things. And I don't know if they were necessarily... Firing on all cylinders at that time. But looking back, I was like, God damn, everyone did a great job on that. Mm. Like, Vince, Bishop, Foley, even Coach. Mm. Maria was hysterical. Mae Young was fabu- Like Everyone just did a great, great, great job. It was world building. Why have we not had more trials in wrestling?
1: It's so... I, I just would love there to be more trials in wrestling.
0: There's only one other one I could think of. Mm. And that involves Triple H and Shawn Michaels. When they had uh, disrespected... Hornswoggle who... Do you know Hornswoggle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lives under the ring. Lives under the ring. He dis- They disrespected Hornswoggle lots and lots while uh, they were DX and... They had to be brought under the ring for, I swear to God, they call it this little people's court. Okay. As a panel of people with dwarfism uh, judged DX. And it was fucking ridiculous. Wow. So maybe that's why we shouldn't go back to courtroom stuff. But my God, this was a beautiful segment. And you know what? Even though Bischoff didn't say a whole ton, I loved him in this for his facial expressions. He sold everything perfectly. Down to the moments where he... Just had his last little gasp where he tried to like put over the elimination chamber, which in kayfabe, in kayfabe, Eric Bischoff invented the elimination oh, really? chamber because it was like I'm going to come up with a really over the top, crazy, violent match that's going to make the hell in the cell on SmackDown seem like baby town frolics. So he made the elimination chamber, and I like that that in kayfabe that is established. Hmm. Also in kayfabe, Chris Jericho invented the Money in the Bank ladder match.
1: Really? Yeah.
0: So these are like obviously were made by writers, but in kayfabe, yeah. that's important to remember. Huh. So yeah, Bischoff put in a bin and driven away. And Not a bin,
1: a garbage truck. I
0: should say, yeah, a which garbage then truck.
1: closed on him.
0: Which I can tell you from his book caused him to bleed on his arm. Oh, because it cut him, and they were. He said like afterwards they, they were taking him out of the garbage truck, and like all the Vince and some of the people were there with them, and they they opened up the garbage truck and he came out and they saw that his arm was bloody. And Vince was like, shit, are you okay? Like, he was. They were, a bunch of them were concerned and Bischoff saw that there were fans around and he was like, no, I'm not okay. All you wanted to do was embarrass me. I should have never come to this company. He walked out, <laughs> he walked out of the arena covered in trash, bleeding. Oh my to God. To put it over for the couple of fans that were that's there.
1: That's That's great. I love that type of showmanship. Like, but that's
0: it. I think he is the heart of a performer. Over yeah. anything else, Bischoff was made to be a performer in wrestling. And even though... Some of his business ideas were excellent, and a lot of them, you know, have changed the wrestling landscape for the better. You know, a lot of the stuff that he did caused a lot of anger and consternation. Everything from creative control to the fat contracts to WCW's myriad of of problems. But you can't deny, as a performer, there's no one, there's no one like him. He's fucking
1: great. He's so good.
0: He's like, you know, people always talk to me about the big three, Vince heyman and 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 eric bischoff and people have this you know heyman great promo Mm. oh Vince McMahon great performer yeah i don't feel people ever talk about bischoff in that way
1: bischoff i think is a better performer than vince yeah because he has all of the raw emotion that vince has but he's not a freak like vince is
0: (laughs) he doesn't think he's real like vince does like yeah so i think that bischoff's tenure in WWE it says a lot about bischoff and think in terms of a bit of humility but I think you're right, though. It says even more about Vince McMahon, because this is some weird power fantasy shit right there, isn't it? Yeah. You know, he, he he sleeps better at night having had Bischoff do all of this shit. Yeah. Well, Bischoff then found himself away from the world of wrestling. He had a brief tenure, as he mentioned, in TNA with Hulk Hogan. He does not speak very highly of that tenure at all. He was asked on his podcast about it, and he's like, "I if I could change anything, I wouldn't have ever done it like at all and then he changed his mind because he said no because my son Garrett Bischoff got hired as a wrestler there Garrett was not a very good wrestler Ah. and he's like and Garrett he got to wrestle with Hulk Hogan Ric Flair Sting myself and it's like (laughs) okay you're summing up why TNA was a bit fucked up in those years So, yeah, Garrett Bischoff wasn't, I mean, there was nepotism, was rife, is all all I can say. Yeah. When Bischoff was announced to coming back in WWE, that was one of the things that spurred me into putting Bischoff up up the rankings here. I was like, right, let's get Bischoff done soon because he's executive producer of SmackDown. Yeah. Were you shocked at how quickly
1: he was gone? I was. I was very shocked.
0: Like when he was first hired, you th- like what, what? was your reaction to? Because the wrestling world exploded. Heyman and Bischoff running raw on SmackDown. This is going to mm. shake things up, guys.
1: I mean, I wasn't so surprised that he was hired. Because, like, to me, yeah, he is, like, an almost equivalent to Paul Heyman in a way. Like, yeah. he is known for running WCW very well at points and then very badly at points, yeah. much like Paul Heyman. Great is, creative mind, yeah. not a great
0: businessman. Yeah, yeah,
1: much like Paul Heyman. And, yeah, so, so I was... I was not surprised to see him hired. I was surprised when he's just vanished uh, without seeming to do any work before being on screen or anything. It was s- so strange.
0: I get my wrestling news, you know, and I, I try and find out as much as I can just to kind of just I feel like I, you know, you can't take wrestling knowledge for granted. Like you kind of so much stuff happening in the wrestling world is changing so much at the moment in 2019, and I've been glued trying to find out anything about this Bischoff business. And there's lots of rumours about it. All I remember was that every week where it was like, right, this is the week he'll actually be there and he'll be starting. And then it's like, no, no, he was doing initiation this week. Next week he's going to be there. No, this week he's just observing. Next week he's going to be doing it. And then it was like, oh, he's actually there because they want someone who's used to talking to networks. And because of his TV background, Bischoff will be good to talk to Fox. Bischoff said that was not why he was hired whatsoever. And it just seems like... Yeah, he didn't fish. I mean, he's like sixty-three or sixty-four, whatever it is now. Mm. You know, some of them nights with Vince McMahon—you know, six in the morning talking yeah. about fucking resting, then he's going to rip up the show the night before. I don't want to work there. No. I mean, I and Bischoff moved from Wyoming to Connecticut. Yeah, and now he's moving right back. Three months it was, I think. If I, if
1: that. Mad.
0: Like the only things that came out about it was that it was a bad fit. He didn't work in the corporate structure he didn't show up when he was meant to show up and he would not stay back later when he wanted to stay back later. And as someone who has been in jobs that he hated, those are all the hallmarks of someone who's in a job that they hate, but don't want to leave necessarily just yet. Just kind of trying to do the bare minimum to get by.
1: It's just, it's very odd. The whole thing.
0: Mm. He denies all those reports as well, by the way. So so. what does
1: he say happened? Just wasn't,
0: you know, wasn't right for me at the time. We've got to move on. You know, It, it was what it was vagaries there'll be a big fucking shoot interview with him about you know there'll be a big you'll make money out of it okay. you know that, that's his story to tell as it stands in 2019 it'll be speculated until we really know what happens there'll always be how to revisit revisited for that which yeah. Uh, yeah is interesting in its own right I guess because I feel like we're at a full stop at Eric Bischoff's career here at the moment but you know I remember I read Controversy Creates Cash when it came out in like 2006 and it was like right the last line of it was like But I could never run a wrestling organisation again. Or could I? I was like, oh Bischoff, fuck off. Like threw the book across the room. Like, of course you're not. And then four years later, he was running TNA with Hulk Hogan. Wow. You know, for better or for worse, he was running a wrestling company. Even though he'll probably deny he was doing that at this moment in time. So... Who knows what Eric Bischoff and wrestling has to hold in the years and months to follow. Hopefully he'll go back and make some more of Bear Swamp recovery. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe there's some more Big Easy Brides that we just have to find out about. But let's find out about what you think about E ATM Eric, and check out with your tweets and your Facebook messages.
1: First up from Toll for All, Bischoff got super lucky repping off a Japanese storyline and decided to ride it until the end of time. <laughs> all the stars aligned perfectly for the NWO and the marketing at first was perfection. It changed the biz. Credit has to go to Hall and Nash for making it look cool though.
0: Yeah, I think that in many respects that makes me kind of feel like Bischoff in many senses didn't know what he had. Like, because I always figured that Hogan didn't understand why the NWO was cool. Like, it's you know, let's just so happen to have you know, people like Conan and Hall and Nash who are kinda of edgy on the on the pulse surrounding them. Like I think Bischoff and Hogan both at least had the sense to surround themselves with people who knew what was cool because Mm -hmm. Hogan would have been wearing no fucking do rags and coming out in his you know like he's in fucking uh, straight out Compton with his top (laughs) button done open the rest of his long baggy shirt open you know so yeah I think they owe a lot to those guys this is one here over on facebook.com slash howturesting hey if you're over there giving us a comment about an episode or whatnot, you can leave us a rating or review or recommendation as loads of folks are always checking out the Facebook page if you are on there and you're someone who follows the show it's one of the greatest most easy things you can do to help out the show for absolutely free leave us a rating or review there on facebook it's really really appreciated if you find the time to do that so we got one here from johnny Milner. i have honestly traveled the entire bell curve on this bell end (laughs) as a kid i saw him as satan incarnate in my teens and my early 20s i thought he was an innovative rebellious genius now in my 30s i just think he's a sad man trying to cling to relevance after a string of failures life is strange i think many people have been on that journey with you perhaps eric bischoff himself even
1: (laughs) now from kevin Chiat, good television performer blinded by ego in a way that led him to destroying a multi-million dollar company with mismanagement ran multiple pay-per-views at a biker rally so that him and hogan could play motorbikes
0: yeah but playing motorbikes is super fun From Brandy Jeffries, a hugely over look of his legacy is that he was one of the best at navigating the clusterfuck that was the WCW-Turner backstage office politics. One of the main reasons WCW started to make so much money under his watch was that he was able to restructure the budget so drastically. That's the stuff we are talking about with Hogan's salary. His being put through table by Hall and Nash was a very big moment and he's always played his part extremely well. He was also involved in some of the most cringy gimmicks in the early 2000s, WWE fucking HLA. He's an office politicker with used car salesman charm. I don't mean this as an insult purely. He is a perfect match for this carny ass business. (laughs) And you know what I think is a very important point that he mentioned at the end of his documentary? And it was probably the most honest thing I think Eric Bischoff has ever said. They asked him, do you wish anything had changed or it all went the same? He's like, no, honestly, things should have went the way they did. WCW should have closed down. And he says, the reality is... Is that if WCW won the war, there wouldn't be any, you know, WWE or WCW network because no one in Turner, myself included, had the passion or the love of the wrestling business that Vince McMahon does. Which
1: and is yeah, it's true.
0: He was straight up about that. He's like not just not that interesting to actually push it to where it needed to go, yeah. like Vince did. He didn't care for it in that way, and Turner certainly didn't. So I think that's that's very fair estimation.
1: Now from God Damn I'm Glam, he's a lucky man with his 90s run and continuing to coast off it. Not to discredit, but I'm much more of a believer in luck than acumen in 90s wrestling. He's a competent mouthpiece and I feel like being the heel Jimmy Hart to the heel Hulk Hogan was his peak.
0: Yeah, there's something about the image of Hulk Hogan talking about how great he is and Eric Bishop pointing out him saying, I love this man. I love him so much. It is so nauseating and with time it's only made it more nauseating great heel heat there guys (laughs) johnny Bryan here with eric's catchphrase from 83 weeks i can't recall (laughs) i'm actually you know what i'm from the i could say a huge shout out to anyone who tweeted or dm'd me with regards to 83 weeks, it was a lot of stuff, a lot to get through and a lot of people asking their dads as well who listen to Eric and I really appreciated the help and the input on that. It really seems like something I'd be interested in in checking out long term to actually for him to go through all of that because 83 weeks... It's a lifetime in the world of wrestling, yeah. isn't it? Yeah.
1: Now, from Jeff Maxfield, one. I crossed paths with Eric Bischoff at a gaming convention this year after WrestleMania. He had a cold, but was a total pro during a panel about WCW video games, where he revealed no wrestlers were compensated for their likenesses, especially Hogan. Everyone cheered to that news. <laughs>
0: fucking hell from justin hofstetter his brand of you mad bro maga anti-pc selective outrage and easily bruised ego makes 83 weeks next to impossible to listen to sometimes i do like that bischoff does kind of try and like do that whole kind of like i'm just a provocateur type of a Mm -hmm. thing you know whether it's him or fucking jim or anything like that look you know if you if your politics and your shit doesn't fit in the modern wrestling climate that ain't a problem with the modern wrestling climate. It just means times are moving on. Yeah. And I think as forward facing as Bischoff is in many respects, I that is something that did come across a lot as well. That his offense at people taking offense is just one of those typical like old white guy thing that you get in wrestling a lot at the moment. It's not welcome and it's not needed. And wrestling's moving on from that. Like, yeah, people get mad about shit that was offensive. Let's not do it anymore. What's so fucking wrong about that?
1: Old man yells at Cloud. <laughs> Now from Brian Bradshaw Eric Bischoff the businessman is like the love rival in a rom-com. He's a smarmy <laughs> asshole and would probably ruin your life if he had half the opportunity. Yet he is so ridiculously charming and devilishly handsome you can't help but be com- captivated by him.
0: Is he like, like, love actually then? He's just going to go and sleep with someone else's partner, yeah, like, yeah. much younger looking partner. Yeah. Okay, interesting that. I like that theory.
1: Next from MDG8888. 8 8 8 8, we now use the word cruiserweight because of him. He literally mm. imported it from boxing to convey the excitement and the skill of the division he built to add excitement to WCW. For all his failings and hubris, his creative vision is the only one to take it to Vince. That's a
0: fucking... I never knew that he came up with
1: cruiserweight. No, that's really cool. That's
0: I mean, because you know, light heavyweight. I'm watching 97 Raw at the moment for the ITR podcast, and the the fucking lead in Vince McMahon's voice every time he says, "And now light heavyweight action, ladies and gentlemen." He's like, he he hates it. Cruiserweight yeah. does sound. It sounds cool. It yeah. sounds dynamic. And you know what? He may have stolen it wholesale by using Conan as a as a middleman or whatnot. He may have wholesale taken the idea of doing cruiserweights and lucha libre from ecw you know absolutely but he put it on a bigger platform and you know, I think there's a difference between seeing it done in an ECW arena and Rey Mysterio wrestling someone in a car park as opposed to seeing it in front of a big stadium audience. Mm-hmm. And even though oftentimes those WCW crowds were sitting on their hands with those wrestlers, I think Bischoff did do a lot to try and bring a bit more of an international flair. Whether that was because he thought it was what the cool thing was or because he thought it was the right thing to do, he still did it. Mm. And he did it in a way that WWE always has been hesitant about doing no one has ever truly embraced and went from having no like kind of no one from this part of the world to like going right we're gonna have fucking you know 20 guys from mexico that's what bischoff did and you know he had lots of money to do it yeah and it wasn't his money but that's a really important part of his legacy i actually feel dumb for not bringing it up earlier great tweet
1: Finally, from clarky85steve, Bischoff as an on-screen character was one of the most arrogant, loathsome, detestable characters to ever appear in wrestling, and he was absolutely brilliant at it. As backstage personnel, he was an incompetent showrunner and a terrible businessman, more interested in being one of the boys than the quality of the show he was making. He allowed his buddies to call the shots, and he took the credit for the success and the pass the buck at the failures.
0: Now, there's one last thing I wanted to ask you about him because he really hits an interesting point there about him being this loathsome character on screen and all that. There was so often, and Russo did this as well as a defense, you know, when they've done these kind of shoot interviews where they've had questions from audience and stuff like that. But people were like, you were such a slimy piece of shit. You were so manipulative. You are such a backstabber. And he's like, that was my character. <laughs> you're, you're just mixing up my character. I'm not actually like that. You have words of Vince McMahon. I do think, yeah, there is a lot of that with it, with the Vince of kind of maybe excusing some of the behaviour. I genuinely think Vince does said no. I think Bischoff would have a better idea. But do you think, or from reading some of the tweets and some of the, the reaction from some folks, do you think there are some people who maybe have been more influenced by Eric's heel character and that has made them kind of hate them a bit more? Or is it solely his business practices? But it
1: sounds like he is a bit like that.
0: The volume turned way like, up. Yeah, don't they that's say, the thing. Yeah.
1: yeah, I'm sure it is exaggerated, mm. but. You've got to be a bit that way inclined to run a business like that.
0: No, he's just a real level-headed, cool guy yeah. who also is going to ride to Sturgis with Hulk Hogan for the free pay-per-view at the Sturgis Rally. Yeah. <laughs> cool, that's all right then. Just the character, is this? Well, this was a very, very, very interesting episode to go through. We've had an absolute time and a half. We've covered now all the big promoters from the big three of the 90s of WWF, ECW and WCW. It's very interesting now to kind of Mentally be comparing and contrasting those three men and their ethoses and how they tried to change wrestling and how ultimately all of it got absorbed by one big company at the end. So, yeah, there's a lot of history you've learned here today, Joe.
1: Yeah.
0: Eric Bischoff, is he a prick?
1: I think he is a bit of a prick, yeah. Yeah. A bit of a prick. A
0: bit of a prick, Mm. yeah. But in terms of the devil or the most controversial figure in sports entertainment? He's
1: not the devil. He's not even close to being the most controversial figure in wrestling. He's nowhere nowhere near near. that interesting. He's nowhere near that interesting. No. (laughs) But he is controversial and it would be a lie to say otherwise.
0: Yeah. Well, very much so. So from the world of controversy and Eric Bischoff to the world of law, order, rules and officiation our next episode is going to be a very special one because we're going to be learning all about the zebras it's how to referees we're going to talk about the most famous impactful and important referees in the history of the world of wrestling we're going to be talking about the use of the special guest referee gimmick referees being involved in storylines and honestly as well something i don't really know a whole ton about i'm very interested to research and find out more about the actual role of a referee in a wrestling match because these These are some of the most important people who put together a wrestling show, and most of their role is completely unknown. Like, do you know that most of the referees put together the ring in WWE?
1: No. Yeah,
0: I know. What? It's kind of a secretive world. Do they
1: get paid more to do that?
0: Yes, I do believe so. Good. But I mean, it's a secretive world, and not the sense that it's very closed doors. It's just that I don't think there's been much inquiry into it. So we're very excited for this one, folks. We're after your thoughts, your recommendations of excellent moments with referees. Maybe you look at the likes of maybe Earl Hebner and Audrey Edwards, Nick Patrick and good old Bill Alfonso and his whistle. All these characters and many more we're going to maybe have a little bit of a look at. What is the role of referees in wrestling? Should they be unnamed non-participants as in WWE? Should they be marketable personalities with a bit of an edge to them like it used to be in WWE and it seems to be currently in some of the AEW broadcasting. Some of my favorite people in wrestling are actually referees like mm. Bryce Remsburg and Jimmy Corderas and Teddy Long and whatnot?
1: I don't know any of those people
0: you're going to find out about a lot of people in stripy t-shirts Joe that's basically the long and short of it and I will be wearing my referee shirt for the entire time use the <laughs> hashtag #HowToReferees. referees we'll get a couple of conversations going on twitter at how and facebook.com forward slash how wrestling make sure you let us know your thoughts and don't forget the hashtag thank you so much for listening to this episode of how to wrestling and hey if you want to support the podcast you can by heading over to patreon.com slash how to wrestling get access to over 60 bonus episodes all of the reviews for AEW pay-per-views NXT takeovers and the WWE pay-per-views going all the way back to August 2015 as well as our how to revisited series all this and much more available you can request an episode sponsor an episode and I will say in the run-up to the festive season if you would like a voicemail a custom impression a voice message from myself or Joe it has been something we've done in the past for Christmas and birthdays and whatnot. there is an option available at the Patreon page if you're interested let us know as soon as possible as the calendar will be filled up pretty much immediately as it relates to Christmas Spectaculars but hey thank you so much for listening to us chat about Eric Bischoff I feel enlightened after this episode yeah me
1: too and a lot
0: more entertained by the content of his performance than I would have ever imagined yeah
1: same (laughs) how
0: about that well until next time where we're going to be talking about the people who call it right down the middle it's a goodbye
1: from me kevin and a goodbye from me joe
0: and we'll see you next time on how to wrestling
1: see ya